This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, Off My Shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Michael Freethy is here to talk about the sci-fi classic Blade Runner and the action-filled Born Identity. Welcome! Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's an honor. Yeah. It's my pleasure. It's all my pleasure. Um, I know you have been very excited to do this episode because you absolutely love Matt Blade Damon? Runner, apparently. No. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're joking about loving That's Matt right. Damon? Who doesn't like Matt Damon? Uh, probably the creators of South Park. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pro- okay. Besides them. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't like Matt Damon? Yeah, exactly. He's That's kind true. of cool. Yeah, yes, he yes. Is. He's very cool. <laughs> Uh, so I know you're kind of like obsessed with Blade Runner and you said you want to dive yep. deep into it. Yeah. So the suggestion I made so we don't forget to talk about it <laughs> is that uh, even though I usually do alphabetical order, yeah. we can talk about Born Identity first. Sure. And then we could do that deep dive into Blade Runner that I know you're really looking forward yeah, exactly. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and not to, not to take anything away from Born Identity, mm-hmm. but Blade Runner is cooler. Um, that's all I'm gonna say. But yeah, no, I I, I rewatched uh, Born Identity again uh, the other day, and it was the first time I rewatched it in probably more than ten years. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, I I regained an appreciation for uh, for the movie uh, after watching it, mm-hmm. um, and just doing some googling online and whatnot about the director, and um, it re- really reminded me of you know the the film was groundbreaking. Uh, it was I for the time too. period, yeah. Yeah, uh, for the time. So, I mean, there's there's been at least four sequels, I think. Yeah, there's uh, Identity, Supremacy, uh, Ultimatum, yeah. Legacy, and then that's right. Jason Bourne. That's just, just plain <laughs> first and last name now. Yes, he, that's just who he is. He, Wait, he but, knows who he is now? <laughs> but isn't in the end of Ultimatum, doesn't he find what his quote-unquote real name is? But he sticks with Jason Bourne because I guess he got I, used to it. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I don't know if I actually watched uh, that film in its entirety. But I remember when Supremacy came out mm-hmm. that it, it really kicked things uh, up to the next level, I felt. It in did. terms of pacing, mm-hmm. uh, the editing, the action. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they had different directors. There's Paul Greengrass when he came into... Uh, the Bourne franchise, yeah, at uh, Supremacy, that the uh, uh, director Doug Lyman of the first uh, film, uh, he he set a precedent, but I felt that Paul Greengrass, he just took it to the next level and just I I feel like it probably has done a lot more for action cinema in the last probably decade and a bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, I really do like the first movie. And Doug Lyman, he actually, he did one of my favorite uh, science fiction movies. Which is? Uh, of the last 10 years, and that's The uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I really um, like or, that movie. Or Live, Die, Repeat. Yes, <laughs> depending and, on and like, I, where you're living, yes. Yeah, and there's they're working on a sequel. Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but, um, and I think because Live, Die, Repeat kind of, there's a lot more traction, and the public took more to that. Mm-hmm. If you look at, uh, I don't know if it's in your DVD collection, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> but on the cover, mm-hmm. they underplay uh, just on the design from 
uh, one that was released uh, theatrically to home video, Blu-ray, DVD, yeah. whatnot. Um, Live, Die, Repeat is is about 75% larger than Edge of Tomorrow on the cover. Yes. So Edge of Tomorrow just seems like a byline, but I remember mm-hmm. when they were first publicizing that film, mm-hmm. Edge of Tomorrow was really more what it was about. Or what well, it was known no, as. Because when it first came out, I remember seeing posters and trailers for it and just literally being like, Live, what die, is repeat. this movie called? <laughs> like, I just couldn't figure out what the movie was called. And then <laughs> finally, it was seeing like Edge of Tomorrow in theaters. I'm like, what the hell is Edge of Tomorrow? And I was like, oh, it's that Very Live, cryptic. Die, whatever movie. Yes. And then I was like, oh, that movie's great. Edge of Tomorrow, done. You yeah. know, like it's just, it's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. And I think the, uh, I saw an IMD that the sequel i think they're going with it's like live die repeat and repeat or something at the end so oh, oh God, that's anyways funny. i i really like that that's i really enjoyed that film it was mm-hmm. kind of like a surprise uh yes. hit for me yes. so i like i was kind of shocked yeah well. <laughs> uh when i saw it i was just i got out of the theater and i was walking away and i was like oh my god that was good what yeah. the hell? You know? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but I think I also think a lot of people had that same reaction when this Born Identity movie came out. Yeah. Because this was like Matt Damon's first action movie, yep. right? And yeah, before, he wasn't known for, for this this kind of uh, character. This yeah. This kind of acting, right? Yeah. And, uh, but he did such a good job with yep. it, you know? Yeah. And uh, like even rewatching it, I was just like, oh my God, that looks amazing like it just looks good still yeah yeah and mm-hmm. it was um i had to look it back up because i'm like oh how how long ago did that come out so it was 2002 mm-hmm. so i think it came out in the same year or maybe months either before or after but uh die uh die another day which uh the bond film yeah pierce Brosnan, and you just think of how different <laughs> When it comes are? to the spy genre, yeah, just like how different those like a Bond character is to Bourne at mm-hmm. that point. So pre uh, Daniel Craig, yes, that that yeah. Bond was really uh, yeah. getting old and and had jumped the shark with lasers mm-hmm. and and Madonna and, and all of that. So oh god, people yeah. were getting tired of Bond at that point. Well, I don't think people were getting tired of Bond. They just weren't good movies. Yeah, is what the problem yeah, that, was. That might have something and, to do with uh, it too. Wait, die another day. Who was in? Uh, is that the one? Oh, that had Halle, Halle Berry. Berry in it? Yes. Oh God. Yeah, and yeah. she was supposed to get a spinoff at one point. Yeah, because they're like, oh, she looks good in the bathing suit. Maybe that's we should right. give her her own movie. That's right. No, <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it really does show like the different styles of like action genre like that was out 100%. there. And like even like the visual style of like fight sequences and stuff. Because in the Bond movies, especially like the Pierce Brosnan and the um Timothy Dalton movies, yeah. they don't physically fight people really. There's a no. lot of guns, there's a lot of car chases, yes. Um, there's a lot of like rolling down hills and stuff. Not but there's too no much like hand to hand hand to hand combat. Yeah. yeah. So and I always thought that was really odd, but yeah. and that's mainly what what you get in Born Identity, right? Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of <laughs> kicking people in the faces, and he gets beat down quite a bit as well. Yeah, I forgot how much he actually got like beat up. <laughs> um, but then he really gave out, like doled out a good like ass kicking to everybody. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and just upon like rewatching the film, like what jumped out to me and what I saw. Um, different critics noting online was especially for those kind of hand-to-hand 
close proximity kind of fight scenes, mm-hmm. um, the absence of like a um, a soundtrack. Yes. So very m- not like uh, Fast and the Furious mm-hmm. or anything of that nature. So you know when when the action and fight scenes kick in, mm-hmm. um, they usually ramp up uh, the soundtrack with something that could be rock or just or electronic music, mm-hmm. something to really get. The heart beating. Yeah. But in Born Identity, um, I know s- several times that there's an absence of soundtrack and all you hear is the sound effects of, you know, someone getting punched in the face mm-hmm. um, or getting, you know, kicked in the back or being tossed over that mm-hmm. those kind of sound effects kind of took front and center. Actually, w- the scene that's like that, that actually st- stands out to me is the last scene where he's... Um, Oh, crap. I'm going to forget his name right now. Mm-hmm. He was in Children of Men. Oh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen, yes. So, the last scene where, like, Clive Owen, he's in the field. Yes. And, you know, and he has to go, like, Bourne has to go stop him. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And up until the point where they're like, get your kids in the basement. Um, where's your gun? He takes the gun and goes outside. And, like, that, the tank, he explodes that tank. Yeah. It's quiet. There's no music after that. All you hear is like the birds and the wind and their gunshots. And it is so intense. Yeah, it's very, like it's very crazy. Because even when like Clive Owens dying and he's like, do you get the headaches? You know, it's still quiet. It's just them breathing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like they, they turn, like you can tell they turn up the, like uh, how loud their breathing is a little bit just to yeah. be like, like they worked for this, you know, something horrible is happening. Yeah. And then, like, that whole sequence, purely quiet, and it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, like, just doing that, focusing on kind of, like, real, I guess, senses of, like, you know, they're out of breath. (laughs) Yeah. He's dying. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kind of added to more of the realism Mm -hmm. that I think Born Identity, it kind of brought that back to a lot of filmmaking that happened afterwards, Mm -hmm. that people had seen so much kind of, like, fantastic kind of action film so again just going back to bond we're seeing things kind of unrealistic stunts Mm -hmm. of basically anything that didn't seem like it it followed the um kind of laws of physics (laughs) yeah like they were just like the thing is they were just ridiculous like they were you were watching it and whether you knew it or not like two-year-olds were like that's stupid you know you're like you're you're seeing it you're like that's dumb that's all you're thinking of yeah so, and I mean, like, I, I, you get it that, like, most people, they go to the movies for escapism. Mm-hmm. But when something um, more hard-hitting, or I mm-hmm. guess kind of a little bit off the uh, the well-worn path, mm-hmm. comes into theaters and kind of just came in a little bit unannounced. There wasn't too much in terms of, like, hype that was built around the movie. Aside yeah. from its main star was... You know, Academy Award winning <laughs> yeah. from uh, Goodwill Hunting. It's mm-hmm. Matt Damon yeah. um, in this new role. I, I mean, it, a lot of people turned their attention to it and were intrigued by, you know, there, there wasn't like too many huge explosions or mm-hmm. kind of like cities being decimated by a terrorist attack or anything like that. There's yeah. a, it was kind of on a smaller scale. Like that's, if you look at the later films, you know, they get a little bit more budget and larger scale, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But this film... It's almost it's almost like an independent uh, way of yes. making a, an action film. And actually, there's one, one of the notes I, I took during it was, um, and looking them up online, but Doug Lyman, he came from like an independent film background. Mm-hmm. 
which you know a lot of the the big hollywood types do yeah but at this point this was really his first kind of big hollywood movie mm-hmm. um he had done swingers yes which is another great movie from the 90s <laughs> tracy's shaking her head <laughs> no there what are you smoking <laughs> no I, I like i understand the quote-unquote importance of swingers sure but i do not like swingers no problem yeah that's fair you're you're your own person. <laughs> I disagree, but that's okay. And Go, which was that Loved kind of Go. rave movie with I Sarah Pauly. I love that and, movie, yes. And all of that. So he, he kind of like, I wrote a note. He says he's marrying an independent style of filmmaking uh, with bigger budget. Mm-hmm. So I think the film in itself is actually probably more remarkable than probably what maybe most fans kind of give it mm-hmm. that it, it really was it, it really was different and kind of a bit of a reinvention yeah of maybe the action film well i actually think they went like they went back to old action movies yeah when like i think that's where he gets his inspiration from like his his direction and, and all that kind of stuff because when you go back to older action flicks it's more a painful looking. You see the actual action, and during fight sequences, there isn't music. Like if you go back to like the nineteen sixties and yeah. stuff like that, the music comes in when the fight is over. Yeah, like you know, the person, the bad guys <laughs> on the ground, and the <laughs> the heroes winning, and then all of a sudden there's like this crescendo of music. Like that's yeah, exactly. how it worked, right? Um, so like, I, I think that's one of the things I liked about it, but what made it good was they sort of tightened the story a little bit. There wasn't dead air. There wasn't like unnecessary sequences, which I find a lot of old yeah. movies had. Yeah. They just kind of tightened the story. They're like, no, this is point A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like they're, they're just like one, like right off the bat, like continuous. Yeah. Like and I think I felt like, I remember when like the film, uh, when I watched it again this week, when it, when it ended, I was like. Oh, that's it. It's it's done. Yeah. We're we're yeah. not going to the, the 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 top villains like layer to, to do anything <laughs> to take exactly. them down or, yeah. or or get Commissioner Gordon to come in and, and handcuff them, take them to Arkham <laughs> Asylum. But maybe I'm confusing my movies. Maybe just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, yeah. Like I I think that's actually one of the things that made it great is that even though it left room for a sequel because they pretty much knew they were, they were going to do a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Born was pretty much just like stop chasing me. Fuck off. I don't have to kill all of you. Just yeah. leave me alone and yeah. I'm going to go over here do my business. Yeah. And that was it, you yeah. know? And tell you the truth, if they didn't continue it as a franchise, that would have been a that would have been perfectly fine. Standalone like, film. Standalone film. But yeah, from there they were able to do the sequels, but I mean it is based on like Robert Ludlum's novels and he's got yeah. like 20 books I think that's around born, something like that. Yeah. So, I'm okay with it. I'm okay yeah. with what they did with it. Yeah, and like again, like maybe my <clears throat> just being trained when you when you think of like the spy uh, film genre. Wait, hold on, hold on. But is he? He's not a spy though. It's it's more of the. Um, it's not necessarily of him. Just I guess being uh, categorized explicitly as a spy per mm-hmm. se. But I guess more of like the kind of genre, kind of tropes throughout the film with car chases. You know, being being you know vetted against you know like a villain, like a lot of the marking promise, all these high impact kind of action scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I know, yeah, he's an assassin and whatnot. But again, he was very much kind of like associated with an anti Bond type kind of, of feel. Ca- kind of character, and that and I think that that's what worked uh, a lot with the success of the genre. And I mean, just look at if you compare, think of Die Another Day. 
Bond film versus what they did next, Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and just how different. Not, not so much that they casted, uh, you know, someone who's, you know, a little bit more rugged than a, than a, you know, sharp dressed man like yeah. <laughs> Pierce Brown with his hair is always but perfect. Daniel Craig, but that can film, be a very good sharp dressed man. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that film, Casino Royale, has definitely more. Um, I feel like it has more similarities to to a Born Identity movie than mm-hmm. it does to, you know, a lot of the other Bond films. Well, when I think mean, of just how it's shot uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's directed and shot in the same kind of style, you know, like yeah. that very gritty close-up hand-to-hand combat that's in it a lot, which yeah. a lot of the Bond movies, as we mentioned, were steering away from because, like, even though, like, Sean Connery's Bond had a lot of gadgets and stuff, he did do a lot of hand-to-hand fighting in it. Yeah. And then when you hit Roger Moore, that was kind of taken out. Then you hit Timothy Dalton. It came back in a little bit, but it was still more gadgets. And then Pierce Brosnan, even though I thought he could have been a great Bond, he just got the shittiest movies to do. And I feel, I literally feel bad for him because I think he would have been fantastic if he was just given a good script and a good director, and it was just put together. I, d- I well. did like Goldeneye. I think that was the only Pierce Brosnan one that I was like, "Yeah, this is a decent movie." It, it is. It's not. <coughs> it's not bad. And the but... video game's awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's why people actually like Probably. Goldeneye. They're like, you say Goldeneye, they think of the video game, and then they mix up the movie or something. They're Bringing like, it back no. to N sixty four, like it's getting crazy in here. Look, people search for like emulators and stuff just I to know. get their hands on that game. They're like, they're still I saying know. it's the great, like one of the greatest games ever. Yeah. So can't go wrong. Can't no. go wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, I just like I just like the fact that it was a good action movie. Yeah. You know, you had a simple premise, and then yeah, he's out looking for answers, but you don't really get answers, but you don't no. really care either because you you're do in like, the other films, but in this one on its own. Yeah. I, I remember at the end, I'm like, uh, so what did we learn? <laughs> Nothing. Not much. <laughs> no, he's a guy. And I'm okay he has with amnesia, that. and he can beat people up. Good. That's I'm right. fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Exactly. Everything's okay. You know. And, like, you have, like, great actors in it, like Chris Cooper, who just would have just come off of um, Adaptation uh, and American American Beauty, Beauty, you know, and he goes from, like, those very, well, I guess this, as we were saying, this is sort of indie as well, but, like, those kind of, like, indie Oscar-type movies to this, like, action-y, different level kind of thing. It was, like, pulling people out of their regular realm, you know, Wasn't Tommy Lee Jones or... I don't know, some other (laughs) older white guy in Hollywood. (laughs) I mean, it was just another old white guy, but yeah. That's right. It's fine. And I noticed um, Walton um, Goggins was in it. Is that how you say his name? Oh, here, I'm looking it up. Um, Was in it, and I was just like, oh my God, he looks so young. I didn't realize he was been around for this long. Um, I mean, I really should. So is Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles? (laughs) Well, she's in. Three of the movies, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah, she had a couple of them. Um, and who else? Of course, Clive Owen we already mentioned. Yeah. And I noticed for the first time, I noticed he had a Canadian passport when he was flipping through his passport. Oh, I thought okay. was hilarious. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, and that closing song and the credits by Moby was fantastic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when we watched it, my wife was like, "Is that Moby?" <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> 
yeah, remember when you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing or him? watching like just commercials in between shows? Yeah. Like I remember that. I don't know if it's from that album, but play. Yes. That mm-hmm. which was his like biggest album. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that like every single track. Uh, it, it this was kind of like a milestone that was unheard of, mm-hmm. but every single track on that album had been licensed commercially yeah for commercial use like well, every yeah. single track on that um was i was like what yeah i That's believe crazy. he was the first artist to do that successfully yeah yeah every well. single track on yeah. that which is um, crazy because licensing your song for commercials was pretty much unheard of like there were parody versions yeah. Um, but the actual song being used in an ad and thing was not a thing. And I think it was a, I think the first one was like a car commercial, if I remember yeah. correctly. He, he, Don't remember which one, but he's yeah. He's made a shit everywhere. ton of money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's, you he's know, still sitting on a good, a good mound. Good pile, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's his, like, he really doesn't have to do anything based on that licensing. No, no. Even if it's not, if, even if it's not commercials, it's the movies he's licensed to and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. He's he's made it. He's he's good. Yeah. Whatever happened to Moby? Anyways, he's still around. I I know he made headlines recently. He said something that offended some other big star. Oh wait, yeah, there was a it was a dating controversy. Was it that? Oh was that Moby? yeah, he's. I think he said he he was he dated someone and did something inappropriate. Natalie Portman. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, and she, and she like denied it. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. I don't even know if she confirmed if they ever dated. No, officially she, or not. She said something about him. He, she just remembers this older, creepy guy being around her. Oh, that's right. Yes, <laughs> I believe if I remember correctly, that's what she said. And then he got all, he got all like, uh, no, we went on a date, blah 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 blah. Yes, yes, you're but right. But then when you think about it, at that time period, they would have, she would have been underage, so that would have been inappropriate, which got him in different kind of trouble, and then had to take it back. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Either way, not good. Not either way, exactly. Either way, it's just ugh, don't know. Um now I actually I had one kind of um thing that I picked up on when I was watching the movie. The mm-hmm. um the actress who's who's is I guess love interest or whatnot, who's mm-hmm. opposite Matt Damon, but her name I never knew what her name was. Yeah. She's from but, Run Lola Run. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Franca po- Potente, I'm probably Probably killing the name, yeah. Okay. (laughs) But A for effort. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's cool. Because I didn't know she was in the other other, uh, American tentpole kind of movies or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I'm here, I'm just looking on. uh, She was in The Born Supremacy. Well, yeah, because she gets killed right at the beginning of the movie. Oh. I totally forgot about that. Sorry, spoiler alert. Am I supposed to say that? I don't know. Yes. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) It's been it's been out for for fifteen years, so yeah. I think it's, I think it's fine. Sucks to be you, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, her hair wasn't red. I was like, oh, that's not your natural hair color. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, back to Run Lola Run, another great movie. Hey, when, when you get the pod, when you have your episode lined up for Run Lola Run, give me a call. Mm-hmm. Love that film. Yeah, it's a great movie. That was a big. That was a big one in uh, film study school. <laughs> really? Is it because of like just, the time loop kind of repeating thing? Yeah, just for it being so unconventional, just um, especially for like a Western audience um, watching. It, but it's, it's just, but it wasn't like it's not a an, Amer- an American movie. No, no. But uh, for any mm. kind of like anyone who doesn't watch art cinema, watching mm. this film. But I mean, at its like kind of uh, basic kind of DNA, it is an action film, but it's 
It's pretty cool, and it's See, very like, weird. I would actually start a. It's a sci-fi film yep. that's got lots of action in it. See, I would, yep. I like, I always think of Run Run as a sci-fi film, really? and then an action movie, because it's it's sort of, it's sort of like Groundhog Day. Uh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So, like, I never like. <laughs> Look, I never we've could... gone back to live, die, repeat. There, there you go. go. Yeah. Boom. My um, job's done here. I've never considered that movie to be weird or strange. I just thought really? it was a a great use of the the concept but that's that's you know i never thought it was like an odd movie or well, artsy ha- or anything i just... guess because i'm i'm trying to remember it's been uh so many years since i've seen it but i remember every time the kind of narrative uh storyline would restart mm-hmm. you'd have that kind of like animated um sequence where i think she's running down the stairs and all that i yeah. just for some reason I get uh, like '80s videos in my brain when I think about about that sequence. Yeah, and just like the pacing and cutting, and it, it's almost very much like uh, Train Spotting. Yeah, well, it's very. Like that's Danny the thing. Boyle. It's very. It's very European. Right? Exactly, exactly. It's not an American style sci-fi action movie. It's a very European style like sci-fi action movie because it gets. It's more. I think they go for more jarring, more, 100%. you know, like make you think compared to like just handing you stuff and, you know, pew, pew, pew. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more than that. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, well, I, think I get it. It's just when you, um, you know, myself being, you know, uh, a little half Filipino, <laughs> half Caucasian boy from the GTA uh-huh. watching uh, a movie like this against you know, other films of, of that period, you know, mm-hmm. the Matrix or or what whatnot. Mm-hmm. It just I it just really stands out to me. Yeah. As being uh, again, it's almost like a when you think of action films and you know a film that kind of is outside of the cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Like Born Identity is is definitely one of outside those. Of and this yeah. this kind of does the same mm-hmm. for me in in that respect. I but maybe that's... if I maybe if I grew up in Europe, maybe mm-hmm. I'd be like Man. Run or Run, boring. <laughs> No, I actually, I actually do think it's um, definitely different. Like, I think that time period of films, unlike now, they were actively trying to let people do different things in films and yeah. stuff, and see what would work and and yeah. all that kind of kind of thing. So that's why I think movies like Run Little Run and like Born Identity, where they had like unconventional casting and unconventional director and they kind of went for a different feel to what that was out there was allowed because they were looking for different ways to tell these stories because they were getting bored whereas now like they seem to just be rehashing everything over and over and over again it's driving me crazy yes lots lots of reboots yeah and re (laughs) remakes and or reimagining is the new word yes exactly yeah i'm when uh, whenever I see like a Halloween movie coming out, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, guys, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to keep on top of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, you get a lot of people who they say that Hollywood's running out of fresh ideas, Mm-mm. but it's kind of like, well, it, that's kind of been the case for a long time. I actually think Hollywood's just not letting people show their fresh ideas because they're so scared of losing money yeah you know risk like i think i think there's lots of room for risk out there and i think there's lots of people with really good ideas yeah but they're just like yeah we can do this random thing that nobody's ever heard of before 
or we can make a Star Wars movie that will make a billion dollars automatically. Exactly. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, it's like... Reboot Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I bet you when that ninth movie come out, like a year later, they're like, oh, we're restarting the whole franchise. Whole Skywalker franchise. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's right. You're like, okay, sure. Um, Starring one of the kids from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's going to be all the kids from Stranger Things. What are you talking <laughs> that, about? I'd actually pay to see that. that <laughs> yeah, those guys are awesome. Uh, yes. One thing I realized in the movie, too, like, this movie is from 2002, which I, like, I guess in my lifetime, I don't feel like it's that long ago, you know? Like, I, I feel like things oh, aren't... I'm, I'm right on board with you. When, when people tell me 2002... That's 17 years ago? Yeah. I'm just, I'm I'm in utter shock. You're just like, what? Because I remember that was the first year I went to, left home, went to university. Yeah. And I feel like ever since I left my bubble mm-hmm. <laughs> back home, time has accelerated. <laughs> right? And now I'm in my mid-30s and yeah. I'm like, can I go back? <laughs> it's so painful to think about. It's so Seven, painful. Yeah, almost 20 years. Yeah. And, uh. The the thing is, I was looking at um so like you know they're like the the spy guys, the treadstone guys or whatever, like their room of stuff, like yeah. and you like you see their oh, their big ass monitors on there, the piles of paper. That's right. They all have like these tiny cell phones that you can't send text messages and pictures on. The CRT You're monitors. Like, what is, That's I loved it. What is even happening here? What is why is everything so bulky? It's <laughs> weird. Uh, yes. <laughs> like and like every time they picked up a cell phone it was like it was like three inches long and barely touching their face i'm like oh yeah we all had one of those nokias i remember that yeah. hardy <laughs> phones man yes yes um i love the fact that they relaunched that phone like last year that's or the year right before or whatever a little bit nostalgia pe- now yeah and because <laughs> people bought that phone because it doesn't break no you can do i bet you if I, I I wouldn't be surprised if I can find this phone. I had one of those phones. And I bet you if I plugged it in, it would even though it's been sitting in a box somewhere yep. for like fifteen years, it'll probably oh, yeah. turn on just fine. Yeah, it'd be ready for calls. service. Yeah, it'd be, be, yeah. It'd be good. Pick me up and, and phone someone and talk to someone. <laughs> what what else do you want to do with me? Right? What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Ugh. I, I think I wrote this down. I don't know if I listened to the commentary, I found this online, but there's a couple other actors who are considered for Jason. Bo- they're pretty funny for oh, Jason really? Bourne. Yeah. B- before they arrived at Matt Damon, so try to imagine a, a Jason Bourne movie with any one of these guys. So I'll start Russell Crowe. Oh God, no. Okay, so he would have. Uh, when did Gladiator come out? Was that late '90s or early 2000s? I think it's early 2000s as well. But he he had done. Um, Obviously, he would have been an obvious contender because he's he'd done several like big action movies. I yeah. feel like at that point. Yeah, because I think it, no, but he hadn't done action movies really. Let's see. Gladiator came out in two thousand, so he had already done. Was that it two thousand? Okay. Yeah. And that was that was a big hit. That was huge. Yeah. That was a big. People one. said they weren't. They were surprised it was so big, but I'm like, yeah. really? I guess it's sort of like a historical. Swords and sandals. Drama. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to get those outlandish, you know, car shooting missiles while skating on ice sequences <laughs> kind of thing. So exactly. I get it. I get it. Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that one I was I had a good laugh about. <laughs> and I mean, the wow. guy, I mean, I mean, he, you know, okay. 
He's still in pretty good shape considering he's got to be in his 70s now, right? Probably. I think he's in his mid to late 60s. I Is he? Say. Okay. Yes. I mean, that's he's easy gonna come to find beating out. Up now. But Sly Stallone, which that would have been interesting. Now this this next one, I I thought actually, hmm. Oh wow, he is in his seventies. Sly Stallone was born he? in nineteen forty six. Woo. Uh, so that means he is seventy three. Is he really? Jeez. Now this uh, next one, I actually think might might have worked. Brad Pitt. That would have worked, but I think it's because it's it's a close enough look to Matt Damon, yeah. right? And Brad Pitt had already done. Fight Club. Fight Club at that point, at that yeah. Point, so he yes. already had that like lean kind of look to yeah, him and stuff. Yeah, yeah, So that would have been fine. Yeah. I could see that one. And Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He is no, brilliant. He, no. he is, he's a brilliant actor in and of himself. Yeah. I don't. I actually don't think he would be bad except for the yeah. southern drawl would throw people off. That's right. Because especially the parts where he has to speak like different languages exactly. and things, <laughs> I don't think it would have worked as well. <laughs> I mean, like, imagine him, like, breaking into Russian with, like, a southern accent. That would have been interesting. It would have been very interesting, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Those are very, like, varying lists. Yeah. Like, that's Well, on different kind of generational lists, too, of, like, a a Stallone to a a Brad Pitt. Yeah. Because, yeah, Stallone would have been in his his, uh, late 50s. Like, already. Yeah. To do that compared to like Matt Damon and, and stuff who were in their I know. late 20s, early Matt 30s. Matt Damon was like stuff. a baby in this. Yeah. He was so young. I know. <laughs> I don't watch it. I'm like, I like, wow, what? Exactly. But he also looked really thin. I guess it's because of all like the working out and the jumping around and all that kind of stuff. But I thought he looked really yeah. thin. Yeah. yeah. I do know he, well, I mean, like most actors for kind of very physical roles. I know there was like a very strict kind of regiment mm-hmm. for training for this movie. Yeah. We super lean and. But I mean, he's still in a pretty good shape. I yeah. feel real now, and no, I don't. And I he'll don't throw in the pounds for a role. He mm-hmm. throw Christian Bale at them, and yeah, oh, Christian Bale with his fluctuating weight is. <laughs> oh my god, Gee, I'm surprised he's alive. M- from method that. actor like, to the max. Seriously, right there. seriously, it's yeah. nuts. I mean, he went straight from Batman to the mechanic and back to Batman. That yes. was like a difference of I think it was like a hundred pounds or something. He had to yeah. put on. And, put on lose and put back on in like yeah. six months or something like that it was something ridiculous yeah it's like you are ugh. and and i haven't seen the the dick cheney bio or um oh i haven't dick seen cheney that one movie, but it's supposed either. to be really good supposed he's supposed to be, to be really good in it, yeah i have one note here mm-hmm. yeah i talked a little bit about being the anti-bond but he's kind of being this anti-intellectual or, or sorry it's against an anti-intellectual kind of um, action hero. What do you mean? So if you think of someone like Bruce Willis in the Die Hard movies, mm-hmm. how great, great character, John mm-hmm. McCain, but he's, you know, he's a cop. He's, he's, he, he lives but, in your neighborhood. Yeah, he's, but he's, yeah, he's average Joe who's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yep. Yeah. For Die Hard, yep, Die Hard 1. Yeah. Um, And then, well, Die Hard 1, 2, and, well, no, 3, he's purposefully put in that position, but... Wrong place, Another wrong great time. film from Another the nineties. Yes, <laughs> um, and whereas, like, I find any like mercenary assassin spy movies, I find they're always quote unquote intelligent because they're all like highly trained and all that kind yeah. of stuff, you know. Whereas, like, the regular Joe Blow action movie is 
you know, it's guy next door. He's just going to pretend he knows what he's doing and then wing it and kill some other people and hopefully live by the end. Yeah. Like, I guess I was thinking, like, a little bit about John McCain, but also, like, Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riggs. <laughs> yeah, he was a military man. Yeah. yeah. But when, when it comes to when they're, like, engaging in the fights or whatever, mm-hmm. they're kind of, like, using their... They're using kind of, like, faith in the sense that, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to really think about the consequence of jumping over that building mm-hmm. into there. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Or they're shooting up my RV mm-hmm. trailer here. I'm just going to hide. And I'm just going to go out and I'm going to kill them all. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a plan? Is that what you're saying? It, essentially. Yeah. And I feel like with um, with the Jason Bourne character, he's much more calculating. Mm-hmm. In terms of how he's going to, you know, get himself from point A to point B, mm-hmm. how he's going to to do this step and then do the next step, mm-hmm. so that he can get closer to finding out like his true identity. Yeah, in a but sense. It, but is is that's built into the character, right? Because like yep. even like there's sequences in it where he's just like, I have to do this thing, and you literally see him look around a room for certain things. And yep. then he puts together a plan. He's like, he's he's like action hero MacGyver. Like, we're gonna make <laughs> this happen, right? Right. Yeah. And well, and it kind of reminds me of um, the Mission Impossible, the first feature. Yes. With Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, like the you know they're still making Mission Impossibles. Mm-hmm. To, but those to Mission today. Impossible movies are so different th- from that first movie. Yeah. That first movie is. Like, I really like that first movie. A lot of people don't anymore. De Palma, right? Um, But, like, that first movie is great. It's, um, it's smart. And then that second movie is absolute garbage. And then from the third movie on, it's it's a completely different genre than that first movie. It is. It's very different. But they're great, they're great action movies. Yeah. No, I love the first Mission Impossible. The second one, I mean, I, I do have a bit of a guilty pleasure when it comes to John Woo movies. I can't But even. I remember coming out of that movie being... That was shite. That was absolute shite. Yes. Because I, I, I went in with expectations that it would follow more in line with the first. I mean, film just being maybe a, a stupid film goer. Yeah. Just looking at kind of the franchise brain, but not really knowing too much about John Woo mm-hmm. at the time. I was expecting a little bit more of the first movie. Yeah. Something that had, I guess, more of like a a narrative that had more substance. Yes. Yeah. Like the first movie that keeps keeps you guessing, you know, mm-hmm. all the time, and then part two was just like full blown. It's I the thing is part two wasn't even full blown anything. Like it was just like I found everything about that movie was bad. The storyline was bad. The reason why there, there was a Mission Impossible was bad. The action sequences were shot and edited together horribly. The effects were hideous. Like everything <laughs> about the movie was horrible. <laughs> Horrible. What about Tom Cruise? Because he grew his hair out for that movie. He grew his he hair was very out for that one as well. In the first one, yeah, and then... yeah. And uh, but I mean, like, uh. I don't, I don't think it really has anything to do with his look per se, because the movies that came after, he's neat and everything, but he definitely grows his hair length goes different from movie to movie. Yeah, you know. And but I think it's just the way the movies are constructed, like their reasons for calling out the IMF are better, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, the action sequences and how they build the story to how they're going to save the day is better yeah. and, and stuff like that. Like, it's just it's very different from the first movie. Like, I find they seem to be two completely different franchises. But very like, much. 
like those movies, they're great. They're great action movies. They're yeah. great fun. You can enjoy it. You know, your success, uh, what suspension of disbelief isn't broken from yeah. like the horribleness of all of it. So it's just fine. think of all of the steps that Tom Cruise gets in in those movies because he's always running. Oh my God! Yes, he runs. <laughs> if he's not on a, so if he's not on a motorcycle, much. he's just it's always running. It's like yeah. a marathon, like an actual and he, marathon. Like majorly hurts himself on every single yeah. one of those movies because he insists on doing his own stunts, right? A hundred percent. Yes, which is crazy. Which is crazy. Because in the last movie he did for it, like, he jumped from one building to another, broke his leg in some crazy way, and that's actually the cut they kept in the movie. Yeah. It's a very Jackie yeah. Chan kind of thing to do. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, surprisingly, I, I think with this movie, um, I have very little notes simply because I started watching it, and then... That, that was it. I was like, oh, it's finished. And I forgot to write things down. Like, and it, that was it. Like, that, that that's all that happened, right? Yeah. So, I just felt like I remember the the end. Like, there there was a, you know, a decent fight scene. But it, it I felt it ended abruptly. But they were opening it up for a supremacy. Yes. Yeah, they, they knew, were. They knew they mm-hmm. wanted to make another one after. They wanted to make the more, more, more of the movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was just the introduction. And the real story will come after. Yeah, exactly. The intrigue. And ooh la la. <laughs> Do you have any more? Uh... Um, not so much on, on this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. I have a couple points about some of the other movies, but yeah. If uh, do you have any of the other Bourne movies on your DVD? I shelf? do not actually. This you was don't? the only Bourne movie that I had, or else we'd do <laughs> a Bourne episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only one I got. Yeah, I, I mean, for this film, I don't have much. Oh, just one other tidbit is that Sarah Polly was considered for the role of of the female. Sarah uh, Polly. Yeah, because the, really? the director um, knew her. He worked, I guess. Yeah, he worked Go. with her from Go. Yeah. So he offered it to her first, mm-hmm. um, but she turned it down. Um, was I forget. it too actiony? I'm her? not sure. I forget why. I think no. I actually think she was just busy. Oh okay. Yeah, because she had she was busy for a while in that time period. Yeah. And she she did go. She did Dawn of the Dead. She did. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, what's the genetic one she did with the guy with the nose? Um, species was that Species? No, that wasn't or her. Or Splice? Splice, Splice. Cronenberg um, like movie, but yeah. not directed by Cronenberg, surprisingly. And there was some, <clears throat> what else? There was a there was a couple of other things she did in there. She did. She did a lot of like kind of like directed uh, a few of her own films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what she's doing now, but. Yeah, she's she's around. Rodavin Lee reboot? Is that what we're <laughs> is that what we're hoping for? I don't think so. Twenty twenty. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I guess Yeah, I think that's all I got. Um, I guess we can move on to the um the PS de de resistance, which you have been looking forward to. The craggle? <laughs> <laughs> uh where's the lid for the craggle? What? Uh <laughs> Uh, we are, you know, talking about this sci-fi epic that is Blade Runner. Yeah. 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 Um, I know. It. So, wait. So, when you decided to do this, you were like, I love Blade Runner. I wrote this thing about it. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was this I... thing that you wrote about it? So, my wife told you I, I did a thesis on it, but I, I didn't do, uh, when I was in university, I didn't do like a thesis 
specifically uh, about the film. Mm-hmm. I may have referenced it, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I did a guest lecture. Yeah. <laughs> about Blade Runner. About Blade Runner. for yeah. uh, It was a first year film class. Yeah. I wasn't in first year, but it was for a first year intro course. Yeah. And the film of that week when I was a TA, professors, uh, we were looking at the uh, syllabus. And uh, he's like, yeah, any of these films appeal to any of you guys? And, you know, we go through it. And then as soon as I saw Blade Runner, I'm like, mine, mine. Um, so, yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, yeah. That was when I was at Carlton. Yeah. So, so wait. Like okay. So two questions with that. First, <laughs> you said you may have referenced the movie in your thesis. What was uh, your thesis r- about? Well, it my undergrad thesis was about... Man, I don't even remember really what it was about. <laughs> Aside from, I know it had had stu- uh, things to do with like memory, mm-hmm. technology, robots, androids, science fiction, cinema. That all, that all goes with this, yeah. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like 2001, Space Odyssey was yeah. a big one in there. I think RoboCop. Yeah. Starship Troopers. So. You know, all the classics. I'm assuming The Matrix would have been part of that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I, about I'm... Jean-Claude Van Damme's Cyborg? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or, no, or even better, Time Cop. Oh, <laughs> yes. Time yeah, I think he had a full-on mullet in that one. He did. He yeah, did. I just remember the hair. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that brings back brings back memories yeah. for sure. Um, so then, okay, so that was your thesis. But, okay, so what did you... So what was the class, like your class that you taught yeah. was just about the movie and like themes yeah. in it and stuff? <clears throat> yeah, so it was a first year intro course. And I think, I'm trying to remember what the um, the theme of that week was. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been like postmodern cinema or genre, science fiction. I can't really recall for sure. But I remember like when that, when that opportunity came up, I know that the... Uh, it was the latest kind of uh, cut yeah. of Blade Runner was just released, and it's mm-hmm. called the final cut. This is it. I'm not going to cut it anymore. But uh, yeah. it was like a four disc set, um, and there was also like um, I remember I I cheaped out, but you could have bought the uh, there was like a special kind of collection case. It was actually it looks like the briefcase that Deckard brings around to do his. Oh, the void uh, contest? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, which was, but I mean, aside from that, I don't know what other bells and whistles, but I just went straight for the goods, the content. Yeah. Cheaped out. I was a poor student, so there you go. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you take what you can get. Exactly. You know, that's it. Um, but I remember that that cut had just come out around the time that I had to um, prepare for uh, the guest lecture, and it was it was perfect timing because there was there was a really good documentary that's on one of the discs of that set. I think it's called Dangerous Days, but that documentary um, was really probably the most kind of intensive study uh, of Dangerous the Dangerous f- Days. I, and that was, I believe, that was a working title um, mm-hmm. for Blade Runner because it's based on it's the Philip K. Dick. Do Android uh, Dream of Electric Yeah, and they weren't going to call the film that, uh, but I think Dangerous Days was. A tentative title for some time. But anyways, that's the name of the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just really good kind of content, interviews. Dangerous Days, The Making of Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. yeah. 2007. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was um, lots of interviews with Ridley Scott, with different production people, special effects. There's lots of big names that were tied to this film mm-hmm. that I'm, I hope to get into with you. <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be cool. But this, I mean, 
before that uh, kind of edition came out, I actually came late when it comes to, I guess, like just Blade Runner kind of fandom. Mm -hmm. Probably it was a first year film class when I was an undergrad. It was the first movie for science fiction in this uh, intro to film studies class. Mm -hmm. Now, I remember I skipped the screening of the movie. I'm like, oh, one of my roommates has has the movie. He had a copy of the director's cut. Yeah. I didn't know. I think in class we watched. It was like the original U.S. theatrical version. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in most Hollywood films, that doesn't make much of a difference. But when it comes to Blade Runner, it, it kind of makes all difference. the difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I remember. I I think I effed up. Uh, one of the answers on like uh when we had our exams, mm-hmm. it was talking about like voiceover and yeah. whatnot. I'm like, I hear no, no voiceover voice. in the director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> but that's one of yeah. the. That's one of the huge things that uh, really Scott cut out when mm-hmm. in '92 when he did the director's cut. Yeah. And then there's uh, there's he has more reasons for why he did a, a final cut besides I'm sure. Yeah, because uh, making some money on the anniversary. He said there's what four versions of it. Yeah, I think like. So there's the original. There's the directors. There's the. There final, was an inter. There was an international version that uh, came out. That was slightly different. Yeah, that came out. There, there's um, the the differences are, are very slight, but mm-hmm. when the U.S. theatrical version first came out in '82, um, there was an international version that came out. Well, but yeah. the the biggest, um, I guess, contrast when you look at all four versions, it's from uh, the '82 films mm-hmm. to the director's cut. Yeah, and then uh, really he kind of he pushed things slightly a little bit further for the final cut, but a lot of the um, changes are kind of more aesthetic. Yeah, so just a bit of like the coloring uh, yeah. of different scenes and things like that. That's mostly what's relevant to the final cut, but really the director's cut is more the definitive kind of yeah th- we're gonna pull out that voiceover because Harrison Ford didn't want to do it. Yeah. He half-assed his performance, and Ridley Scott never wanted to do it, but the producers of the film at the time, uh, with early uh, test screenings, mm-hmm. um, before they released it in 82, a lot of the audiences were leaving the theater and gave their feedback. They're scratching their head, and they're like, I don't understand city speak. I don't understand this. What really happened in the movie? There's so many kind of amb- ambiguities mm-hmm. that got the studios kind of concerned. Yeah. So one of the, I forget what the gentleman's name is, but one of the producers said, oh, what about we put a voiceover Uh, into the movie? Okay. So, I mean, in general, voiceovers can be, you know, pretty effective. I mean... It depends how they're used. It depends, yeah, yeah, the context, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can kind of add that, you know, Blade Runner's kind of a, you know, it's coined as a neo-noir or future noir kind of movie. So it's got a lot of kind of film noir elements you know know, those hard-boiled detectives humphrey bogart type Mm -hmm. from the 40s so in a lot of those movies voiceover was you know that that was one of kind of the the genre tropes Mm -hmm. was that you're hearing an internal uh monologue uh from the main character you know it's just people talking themselves i mean i have an internal (laughs) voiceover all the time but yeah (laughs) hopefully on some level and if you're having conversations with multiple personalities then maybe you should go see someone yeah Yeah. that's a different issue for sure um but with blade runner um it was kind of it was a thing that was done very last minute Mm -hmm. and like harrison ford he was hesitant about the whole idea really scott he didn't want to do it but really scott at the time uh, i think this was only his third it was one of his very early third feature films 
like the, the one that came before is is Alien, mm-hmm. um, which is I mean that that film's a you know a, yeah. not not just a science fiction masterpiece but just a cinematic masterpiece masterpiece yeah, right in, in a lot of people's opinions. Um, so he had a lot of clout, but again he was still very new um, to working in Hollywood. He had he had done so many commercials. Um, so you think of like one of his. Uh, most famous commercials is uh, the apple that's very uh, Orwellian with the mm-hmm. the, the woman throwing the hammer. It, oh, it's a hammer. I was trying yeah. to think. I, for some reason, I thought it was a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But throwing the hammer, yeah, mm-hmm. through Big Brother. But he had done like I th- like hundreds of different uh, high profile commercials at the time. Yeah. So, some but he didn't. He he still yeah he still didn't have probably the artistic control that he did later on in his career mm-hmm. and just listening to some of the commentary that he's done on the film and and watching uh the documentary bits and pieces of it again mm-hmm. um i i really <laughs> i really do like ridley scott he's uh he's definitely a true kind of like auteur and director the the way that he um discusses blade runner mm-hmm. is he's you know some people would be like, wow, this guy has control issues, but he makes it very plain, you know, at the time, you know, my role as director is to be, you know, at, at the helm of, of the ship. Um, so it's my movie and we're going to make my movie. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely, um, you know, studios still had more power uh, over him at this time because he yeah. was still relatively new. So he was very happy when he was able to, you know, make these kind of like directorial decisions later on celebrating different anniversaries um with blade runner so with a director's cut that's mm-hmm. 10 years after and then 2007 final cut that's 25 years yeah. right there's lots to say about the voiceover as he's sitting here turning all the pages on his notes Click. i got yes. so many notes <laughs> so many notes again this was one of those movies where um i have very little notes because i find what happens when a movie is a especially captivating for me is I tend to not nitpick. I tend not to pull things out. Like sometimes I'll be like, Oh my God, this person in that movie. And then I'll write that down or something. But that's about it. Like that's what happened with this one. Again, it's like I was watching it and you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, Like I find it interesting that um, it popped up on the screen. This movie happens in November, 2019 in LA. You know, and I'm like, yeah, where the so... fuck are my flying cars? There's no, there's no pyramids built in LA, as far as I'm concerned. You have to wait till the stroke of midnight <laughs> on on Halloween at the end at the end of Halloween, November first. Yeah. It's gonna just it's gonna turn on like a switch. Yeah, and you're I'm gonna, gonna have see... a flying car. Is that yeah, what you're and saying? you're gonna see Hades. That yeah, that LA is gonna look like Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so I make that joke because. Um, I think I, I cracked a joke because uh, my undergrad did at Brock University mm-hmm. and you uh, you had to take the Skyway if, if you're leaving um, the Niagara region and you're going through the GTA. So mm-hmm. I always pass through Hamilton. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I haven't been in Hamilton in a few years, but I remember driving through the Skyway. Every time Hamilton. I'd look, I'd look over. Yep. It's industrial. There's different smokestacks and yeah. fire coming out of coming yeah. out. And yeah, I re- it was, it's some kind of refinery that's that's on the water. Over yeah, there. exactly. And yeah, it's very like 
it's very jarring because you see like you're you're going over the skyway you know there's you're what is it lake ontario you're going over yeah, right and it's yeah. just like water on this side water on that side and they turn over and you're like holy shit you turn what's your that head. yeah and it's, it's like <laughs> it's like that scene from blade runner at the side and then Hades. you pass it and then it's like it's just houses and stuff and I you're know. just like oh that was weird gotcha no. i know that there's more to hamilton than that i yes. I, I do know that there are some lovely spots there are very However, from the Skyway, it looks like <laughs> Hades from Blade Runner. It's very true. Yes. <laughs> Cannot disagree. But yeah, no, so I'm waiting for my flying cars in four months. That'd be cool. Yeah. One thing also I've realized about not just this movie, but older movies is the amount of smoking that happens, yeah. especially indoors. That's right. And I know it gives that really cool effect that people are, you know, in this haze and they're sort of hidden and all that kind of stuff. It's a good lighting tool. But at the same time, I'm just like, it must stink in there. You guys oh, all yeah. have secondhand smoke and <laughs> you are going to die from lung cancer and all this kind of stuff. And nobody smokes in LA right now. So unless that comes back in the next couple of months, oh my God. So we avoided Judgment Day. Is that what you're saying? It looks like we're going to avoid Judgment, judgment Day. Day. <laughs> yeah, apparently. We're going to make it, guys. It's going to be amazing. Um, and my other thing was, so you already touched on the like the neo-futurist yeah. style that's on it. And a lot of movies that are in that style, I've realized, um, when setting up their cityscapes, yeah. uh, lean heavily on like Far East Asian yeah. looks styles and feels yeah um like because i mean in this it's like he's at noodle bars there's you know um i don't know chinese or japanese writing all over the wall yeah people there's graffiti there's graffiti every, everywhere you know like people they're a not, lot of, a lot of the secondary or uh, the non-speaking parts a lot of them are a- it's Asian. asians yeah and i always found that interesting in in movies like that because yeah. they even like brought it back with tv shows like firefly where it's the far future but you know, what he, they, yeah, they yeah. speak Chinese, right? They speak yeah. Cantonese is what it is. Um, and like that Asian culture is brought back in because it's the future. Yeah. And I've always wondered if that was based on like um, fear demographics because of like the the population expanding and they're going to take over the world. Or is it just like because they're so far away, especially in 1984, yeah. China and Japan and all that kind of stuff wasn't as open quote unquote as it is now when it was considered to be like an alien thing so that alien thing coming into our new space making it so different i think you know yeah i think um i'm trying to remember but they did touch upon like a bit like what was the motivation to mm-hmm. you know really bringing that kind of uh far east culture into la mm-hmm. like when you when you look at blade run you're like oh this is los angeles like even though it's in yeah. in the not so distant future, but mm-hmm. you know, a couple decades from when the film came out. Oh, but well, was... sorry, they did it in Big Hero Six as well. Mostly. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Boom. Sorry, I was like, there's one other movie. I was another movie. Remember. Come what on. Was it? Sorry. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I I think a lot of it was, um, at that time out there, things were were moving pretty quick and seemed like they're more advanced. But in terms of just like Asian culture seeming to be, you know, more advanced mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of cultural elements or just like in terms of like city design mm-hmm. and culture. I think I'm um, trying to remember, but I remember Ridley because he was so um, hands-on. Mm-hmm. He, he was basically a micromanager. 
is uh. what a, a, lot, a lot of the other uh, people or cast or, or crew were saying. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're complimentary on the documentary, but that's maybe because Ridley's just over their shoulder <laughs> off camera. Or maybe it's because it's been a little while and they're like, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, he, he had his, um, I guess, kind of uh, imprint on, on the virtually everything but uh, his comment was you know with with immigration and things happening mm -hmm. you know there you know, in canada here we have a mosaic you know of culture yeah and i'm not sure how true it is now maybe it's more true than it's been in a while but in the states they, they have this melting pot that you come in and you mm -hmm. assimilate you become american. american yeah but there was definitely there, there probably was some anxieties around the time about kind of like a, an asian influence on western culture and what was this going to threaten kind of the i guess maybe the american way or or how society was 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 going towards mm -hmm. um at the time so that's why it's funny cuz you look at the film and you're like there's virtually virtually unrecognizable as los angeles as mm -hmm. as what they knew back then mm -hmm. and even as we know today there's too many kardashians for god's sakes <laughs> but yes. um I mean, the, the world that he was trying to, I guess, portray was something where cultures were, were really blending and really coming together. And it just happened to be, you know, the Asian influence was very high. But there's also, like, there's different elements mm -hmm. of, um, like, in this, that documentary um, that they were talking about, some of the big columns that you see. Yeah, that's around, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah that's the... around. They're, they're just ginormous. They're, mm -hmm. That's very uh, Egyptian. Okay. Um, they're based on kind of some Egyptian uh, designs. Well, yeah, because the, even like the Tyrell building was pretty a much pyramid. a pyramid, exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Good like, point. Uh, <laughs> the biggest Egyptian one throwback. of one of the things I thought about it is that um, like Tyrell thought of himself as a creator. He thought himself as a god. Yep. He's like, I am, I am your maker, right? Yep. Um, and, and pharaohs were believed to be gods, gods. so I think. Yep. He put himself in a position where, and in a place that symbolized his godlike stature, you 100%. know? And um, so, I mean, it makes sense that other elements in the city that is so heavily influenced by the Tyrell Corporation would include elements oh, that would I show that, that kind That's of good. thing. I like that. <laughs> Guess who's teaching the lesson today? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. That's... Yeah, that's a very good yeah, point. Yeah, that was one of the points I actually did come up with, which is a point I'd never thought of before. Yeah. But then I was looking at it, and I'm like, because I was thinking, first of all, I was thinking monolithic, but I'm like, that stuff, like, it's big, but monolithic is the wrong word, but it, it is godly in its mass and size yeah. and its pyramid, like... Well, it's like a golden palace, like the, the lighting yeah. kind of uh, the, the theme. It, it's, it's all gold. Yes, it is. Um, it is yeah. Like everything looks golden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and rightfully so. Yeah, because he was rich and spent all the money on exactly. his luxuries and his his space that is was so heavily protected. But his one friend that he had, he let in, and of course, it got him killed. But what else? Well, exactly, and the fact that I mean, what what I f feel that it's uh, I mean, nineteen eighty two uh the the absence of uh like any kind of formal government that's mm -hmm. represented in the film aside from you know these blade runners and and there is a police force mm -hmm. a corrupt uh, or, police yeah, force right right tell, yeah right but there's there's no there's no you don't see an appearance of a mayor or mm -hmm. anyone in kind of like an office aside from 
Tyrell corporations being yeah. like it kind of makes uh, it makes me remember or think of Wally with oh yeah <laughs> is mm-hmm. it big and large I think is the is, is, is the is? corporation or whatnot okay, yeah I just think of Walmart but um, <laughs> like I always yeah. thought it was so striking that they're really trying to prophesize that um, corporations the importance of the corporation over a society mm-hmm. um, you know with this story um, they're taking it to like a, a negative kind of it's something to fear but you um, and to extent to... we're, we're seeing a bit of that yeah the, that's what the film's saying, very yeah. prophetic right it is yeah i mean it's actually i was gonna say it's maybe not quite on that level but no yeah. it's kind of at that level because <laughs> we see like company names everywhere and people base their styles and moods and what they buy on companies and you know, and there are companies that are big enough to run countries and they have so much power, they have so much influence that even though technically they're not the mayor, they're not the president, but those people are the people that actually run a, a right, place, right. you know? Well, you think of like the impact of that Amazon has had on, you know, day-to-day life mm-hmm. and the impact it's made on, you know, just consumer goods yeah it's putting manufacturing mo- putting mom and pop shops uh out of the business well mm-hmm. even in and even malls yes. uh, being threatened by you know this one conglomerate that's mm. you know one of the most profitable companies in the world right now yeah which is uh, i think is crazy it, yeah um but yeah no and it's true it's and the the thing is too is like you understand how and why those person people have gotten into that position but also you see the negative impact of those people being allowed to be in that position yeah yeah exactly so. um and again that's that's just one piece of you know kind of the how, how rich the pie is mm-hmm. in, in terms of blade runner yes is that there's there's so many different um, ways that you know you and I can chit chat about it, or mm-hmm. an academic can write about it, or someone can critique it. You can come at it at so many angles. Yeah, and that's just why I enjoy the movie so much. The yeah. movie so much, and you know I don't really like tire of watching it mm-hmm. uh, over and over because I, I find new things. Mm-hmm. You're you, you're it. telling me about the, <laughs> the spread of Egyptian culture and in the other areas. I'm like, yeah. That's yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is totally from Tyrell. Yeah. Uh, so, like, but but based on that, so I know you love the movie, but does that, like, have you ever read the book? Uh, yes, I did. It's, mm-hmm. And and I, I read it, like, in university. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, like, similar elements, mm-hmm. but uh, the movie is, it is very different, but the author, uh, Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. um, so he died before the movie, like in the same year, before the movie was released. Okay. But there's, um, again, why this documentary is so awesome, mm-hmm. Dangerous Days. But they, they talk about how um, uh, he wanted to visit the set of Ridley Scott's film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Ridley Scott was a huge uh, fan mm-hmm. of, uh, of, of uh, Dick's work. Obviously, he's taken on the movie. <laughs> the movie, the yeah. movie right? Um, but a, a lot of the people were, um, they were taking around sets, set designs, different production props that were being made. Um, and he said, Oh, can you show me any dailies or just, you know, can you, can you guys show me any of your finished film or mm. wherever you're at in progress? And there was, um, after he saw, I think they showed him about 10 minutes of the film. I 
don't know if they identify which part of the films or maybe it's kind of just like a buzz highlight reel mm-hmm. kind of thing. But he was incredibly impressed with how close the vision was mm-hmm. of uh, Ridley Scott and, and all of his crew. That is not the, the what I thought you were going to say at all. No, no. I really you would think it's very like, different. I was, I was going to say, I'm like, oh, Dick, he probably hated it. No, no. Nothing like what I was expecting. What are you doing? You're killing my, my, my masterpiece. Vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he, he was very complimentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to look here and see if I wrote down a quote. But he, he said it was... A, as if you hardwired my brain mm. and the output was what you showed me. Really? Um, on the screen. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's the ultimate uh, compliment, compliment yeah. to, uh, you know, someone working yeah. in, in, in any art mm-hmm. form. Because um, well, usually you only hear about the stories where the author and mm-hmm. the director or studio butted heads and they yeah. felt like that they... They just butchered their work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so for this podcast, I was, I, I also have read um, "Do Andrews Dream of Electric Sheep," but this was years and years ago. Yeah. And if you listen to my episode about um, uh, "A Scanner Darkly," you would know. Love that film. I, <laughs> I also like that too. film. It's a crazy book, which I also haven't read it's because Keanu. I cannot read Philip K. Dick. I find it's pretty his wacky. writing style boring. Like, it bores oh, really? me to tears, and I can't get... Like, it takes me very long to get through it. And you know that Do Andrew's Dream of the Electric Sheep is not a long book yes. whatsoever. I yeah. think it's it's under 300 pages or something. Yeah. And I think I it took me, like, three weeks to get to, like, page 30, and I was like, <laughs> fuck it, I'm not going to do it for this episode. <laughs> that's not a thing that's going to happen today. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Um... But one thing I didn't remember was how, to first of all, to me, yeah, uh, the environment in the book and the environment in the movie, in the movie. are Seems completely different, different right? Mm-hmm. Because in the book, according to the book, it's a dust bowl, whereas in the movie, it's raining all the time, right? Uh, so they didn't show him in any of the scenes <laughs> that had rain, apparently. Apparently, right? Because so, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I got to bring up Blade Runner 2049 Yeah, seemed more closer to the book than like Blade Runner because of like, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was the atmosphere and setting. But also even reading those first 30 pages of that book, you're like, this storyline is completely different <laughs> than like, cause in the book, like Deckard has a wife, he has a pet sheep. On the right. on the roof, like you know, um, the like so in the movie, for example, there's a lot of people around, but in the book, there's very few people around because they mention this like sideways because yep. they had the advertisements about living off world, and yep. in the book, oh, they definitely. mention that because there's some sort of toxin on Earth, and you have to yep. pass certain tests to get off of Earth, and people are just vacating Earth, right? Um, so it's like, there's a couple of really big juxtapositions that I was like, really? This seems very <laughs> different to me. Yeah. So when you said that, I was like, Surprised. so you're like, oh, he must have hated it then. Cause it's so different. And you're like, no, he loved it. It was exactly what was in my head. What? <laughs> they they might've been smoking and, and, and sucking in too much tobacco yeah. and, and chemicals in, in the screening room. I don't Maybe? know. Maybe. 
I don't know. Maybe but... maybe it's the like it was kind of the integrity maybe yeah. of the the vision of the book. He's... Or maybe it's just like the feel, like the oppressive feel of exactly. You know. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's got to take the really Scott's word for it that that's what he said. That's what he said. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's that's true, right? You know. So, uh, but, or maybe it's because I only got to like page 30, 30, 35 or whatever. And I didn't finish the book. Yeah. Maybe later on it rains quite a bit. I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but there were definitely a few things in there that I was like, this is completely different. Um, yeah. and the book also dwelled on like the concept of an emotion box that you'd plug in to mm-hmm. get your day started and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like. What the it, F was, is it was very weird and i'm okay with weird but i think it's just i love all of the stories that i have seen that come came out of philip k dick books but i cannot yeah. read philip k dick books if you understand hey, what that's I mean. fair yeah it's just it's a style it's like the way he writes and stuff it just it gets to me there's like a, a twilight zone-esque kind of uh series i forget what channel or or network it's on but mm-hmm. it's it's all philip k dick stories Oh, uh, uh, I haven't. I ha- I only Electric watched the f- dreams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was on space. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually only watched the first episode that mm-hmm. it had Brian Cranston in it. It was okay. Yeah, but uh, again, yeah. it it is like the Twilight. Every episode is different. Um, actually, it's different more like a combination right? of Black Mirror and the Twilight Zone because there's mm. a lot of like of a like a technology element to a lot of the episodes. Yeah. Um, but it also a has that Dickian. weird space to it as well if you know what i mean i, I think what i like chance. i think what i like about um just think of other philip k dick stories and just some of the patterns and like similarities and themes that mm. kind of they're that it's kind of like a thread through a lot of his material was was this kind of like fear of technology yes. um and um, Wait, sorry, was it a fear of technology or, or an, ab- an abuse of technology? Well, yeah, maybe they're one and the same. I don't know. Do you think so? Well, I think, I think it was also just when I say like fear of technology, you know, it's fear of you know what are we what are we building these machines for? What are mm. we going to use for this? When it comes to AI, something like a replicant. Now it's interesting. Uh, they bring up um, question. You know, was it so much a fear of technology? In Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, you know, the film, at least in the first and probably second act, like, who, who's the enemy? Who's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. And you constantly think, oh, it's the replicants. The replicants are bad. Mm-hmm. These are killing machines. They don't have human emotions, all of that. That's kind of mm-hmm. how you're, you're, you're told uh, how to see them. Mm-hmm. But especially in the third act, they kind of come off as more human yeah. than who we're told who are are humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, we still think, well, and he still could be. This is, again, one of the biggest debates that was brought up between the different cuts of the movie, but, yeah. um, you know, is Deckard. Uh, uh, we can't yeah. talk about Blade Runner without talk, talking about... But is he a human or is he a Exactly, replicant? exactly. Yeah. And, like, as you go on more and more in the film, like, you think that Rutger Hauer's character, like, he seems much more like a, a human than, than someone like Deckard, who's just like this... He's kind of like an Eeyore. Yeah. He's monotonous. <laughs> Moping just, around. Yeah. 
he doesn't have family around him. He lives alone. He's surrounded by these old photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's trying to get out of the business of retiring replicants, but yeah. this is kind of like his last go at it mm-hmm. before he ends his career and who knows what he's going to do next. Mm-hmm. Maybe get off world like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But the um the, the way that technology is framed in the movie is is interesting that at first it's definitely it's, you're supposed to be you're being told you know have a fear of this technology because look what it can do it's mm-hmm. it makes me think of something like uh, mary shelley's frankenstein mm-hmm. in the book whatnot that it's this monster who's created um it's artificial mm-hmm. um but again who's who's the real monster is it dr frankenstein or is it the the monster he created. The monster he created. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of kind of commonalities between even that book and yeah. But and I what find this here. more of a like I don't consider this. I've never thought of this movie as a fear of technology movie. Mm-hmm. I I always thought of this movie as in showcasing a an abuse of power. You know, um, and like yep. they bring up this fact at the end of the movie, you know, like he, like Rutger Hauer, like his rec- replicant self calls him, like we're slaves, and yep. you need to treat us better, and all we want to do is live. That's yeah. that's all he wants, you know. Yeah. And based on his programming, all he knows how to do is kill. Yet I've seen all of these beautiful, wonderful things that are gonna get lost. And I can continue to experience these things because you were scared of me before I even existed. Yeah, and they um, kind of just, he, he just wants to prolong their life and he just wants to be left alone. Mm-hmm. But he's forced because of his model. I forget, it's like uh, Nexus 6. Nexus 6. Mm-hmm. His model is it has a, uh, a shelf four, life. Four years. Four years, yeah. right? Because so all replicants have been built in with a, a shelf life. Yeah. All replicants. An expiry, have. right? Yeah. More to the point why I think there is a fear of technology and it is, and we'll get to it, To is Decker a replicant or a yeah. human? Or if we're able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but memories. Me- memories is like a big like a steam in the film um, when it comes to um, just think of Deckard's apartment with photographs everywhere. People are talking about memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to difference in cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the the first version, the U.S. theatrical version that was that was released. There's a key scene. It's very quick. But in Deckard's apartment, he's uh, he's in front of I think it's like a grand piano or whatnot. Yeah, but he he's little... he's nodding off. But he, um, it, it's implied that he has like a daydream of uh, the unicorn. Um, it looks like it's right out of the legend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is okay. another really Scott, Scott movie, m- yeah, movie later on in the eighties. Mm-hmm. But um, he has it's it's very brief, but he it's it's a white unicorn that's galloping um, in some sort of magical forest. Mm-hmm. But it's very brief, and I think it's only on screen for maybe four or five seconds. Okay. But I believe that they removed that wasn't included. That was not included in the director's cut. I know that. Oh really? It's that the, okay, we the rewatch thing it. I is thought not it was. in the director's it cut. It is definitely in the final cut. Okay. But um why that why that piece of um or why that scene's so important is because at the end when they're leaving the apartment, Gaff is yeah, he the, picks up the Yeah, it's the origami unicorn. Mm-hmm. And it's like 
well, why would he, um, wh why would he not make that for Deckard, um, as maybe a going away present because he knows he's leaving town mm -hmm. with Rachel? Um, why would he choose a unicorn? Like, there's no other things that point in the movie aside from that dream. So, how would Gaff know what Deckard had dreamt or mm -hmm. had been dreaming about? Oh, okay. So that is. <clears throat> But is, that's a big cause for... But is that memory or is that something else? Because well, dreams aren't necessarily memories. Well, it's in his brain, I guess. Yeah. So he knows... It's it's like the title. Do, do androids dream of electric sheep? Mm -hmm. So how would how would he know what he was thinking at that time? Yeah. And that's that's one of the biggest... Un unanswered questions of our time. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> people have different book, opinions. Even in the book, they don't really, if I Explore remember that. correctly, they don't really answer that question. Yeah. Um, it is implied by the end of the book that he is a he is a replicant as well, but it's never like solidified. Yeah. In in any way. Yeah. So yeah. No, and that's I mean that's one of the big kind of questions and ambiguities that that didn't make its way into the U.S. theatrical version. Because that ending, so in the director's cut and the final cut, so it ends soon as Decker and Rachel or make in the it elevator. in the elevator, and yeah. then the doors close, boom. Yeah. Kick in the Vangelis awesome synthesized soundtrack. Yeah. Love that soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in the uh, U.S. theatrical version, there was a scene after. Mm -hmm. So they're they're coming into, I don't know where it is, but they've left LA. I'm glad to know I'm not crazy because I'm like, not, I, like when the crazy. movie ended, I was just like, isn't there a scene where they're driving through like green pastures or something and yeah. they're talking it's to each other raining. in the car? It's not raining. It's like it's sunshine and it's green. It's like a completely different color palette to the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, I was sitting there going, did I make that up? Maybe it's just like, and then I was like, I remember you telling me there were four different versions of it. So I'm like, okay, maybe that's in one of the other versions. But yeah. I was like, am I going nuts? I could have sworn it was this one. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was in the original theatrical version and mm -hmm. it was insisted upon by the studio. Again, yeah. Ridley Scott at the time didn't have as much uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, authorial power as, as he did later in his days in Hollywood. But. It, it's kind of that right off into the sunset kind of moment that, oh, mm -hmm. it's a happy ending. Yeah, they do this, get away together. 98% of the movie was dark as shit, mm -hmm. like literally. <laughs> yeah. And, and in terms of the movie's tone, but boom, we're going to throw in this and, mm -hmm. and they get together and they escape. Yeah. But it, here's kind of like a funny uh, tidbit. I remember when watching the documentary that um, a couple of the shots when that come right after the elevator scene. Mm-hmm. It's like an aerial shot of um, there's clouds and mm -hmm. uh, and green pastures and all of that. But those uh, that footage was unused footage from The Shining. <laughs> oh my God! Really? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, Stanley Kubrick gave him permission. Said, "Yeah, you can use these shots. Mm -hmm. Why not? They're they're not in the movie. Yeah. They're just additional aerial shots. When you think of the iconic opening yeah. into The Shining, yeah, when they're driving into uh, into the hotel yeah, there. The, what is it? The o Overlook. Overlook. Hotel? Overlook yes. Yeah, uh, which looks like paradise until you get inside the House of Horrors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is true. That is but true. that whole kind of like um, very, it, it just seems like it's tacked on. Uh, and really doesn't fit the rest of the film. That was 
the studio insisting that they have that ending again for to provide some clo- more closure. Yeah. And there, there's some really bad voiceover. Well, for American in, in movies, for a very long time, it was insistent that there had to be a happy ending. You know, sure. like action movies, horror movies, romances, whatever. There had to be a quote unquote. It may not have been perfect, but there was a quote unquote happy ending. You know, that was the purpose of your story. Yeah, bad things happen, but you're gonna make it. Like they didn't <laughs> want to leave that to to question. Whereas I think. You know, people have gotten to the point where they got so cynical, they will not believe that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. we don't know if they got away. That's what life is. Boom. <laughs> you know, like, so So to me, I, I feel like even though you're questioning it, like this ending, like where the door shut credits start is a much more fulfilling ending than watching them go in the sunset. You know, like it, it's... It just seems so much more fitting for the movie. For the movie, yeah. Because there's a lot of, um, like, again, another thing why, like, I really like the movie and uh, why I like Philip K. Dick novels is that they don't waste time giving you too, too much backstory. Mm -hmm. You're kind of, you're launched into this world, this world that's strange, it's unfamiliar, Mm -hmm. and you're plopped in and they they hit go and they're going on with the story. I really hate movies when it's too much kind of exposition mm-hmm. or explanation of yeah. how we got to this point. Yeah. So there is like there's um uh there there is like an introductory screen uh, with titles like Oh give, yeah, the the, the written yeah, screen yeah, that, that, that give up, yeah. you know a little bit of context of what mm-hmm. are, what the hell What's when, when someone says a replicant, you yeah. know what they're talking about and mm-hmm. and kind of the uh what the current affairs um of the world are. But um, I really like, and this is very characteristic of like Dick novels, is that he plops you in. He'll refer to different objects, mm-hmm. like just think of um, a scanner darkly, a scramble suit. Yes, it's like I've never heard that term. I mean, they explain it a bit in the novel, but they, they don't. Sort they of don't waste do. a lot of time on yeah. it. So like and, it's a thing that you can see people, but you can't see people, <laughs> and then they keep going. And, and you're, you're like, just All right. like, huh? But I kind of like I like when authors or especially filmmakers when they inject ambiguity in their films because yes. they they challenge you yeah. to to think more. Well, because you don't because don't to spoon feed you. Um, get across a story. You don't need to be spoon fed all the information. You just need to know enough to understand what's going on. Like I was watching um, what is it Maniac. Um, and they have this ongoing. That's that's a very strange. That's a very strange show. <laughs> I did uh, I did like it. I did yeah, like it. it's good. It's, yeah. it's well done. Um, but like one of the things I found really interesting about it is that they did. It takes place clearly in a future state from right now. Yeah. Um, but they do not explain anything of that future state. They're like, no, no, I'm here. You're like, it's it's made as if. We're in the same time period, right? Yeah. So, like, if you, for example, make a movie that takes place now, you don't explain what a laptop is. You don't explain what a phone is. You don't explain, you know, what Snapchat is. People just know. And that's how this that show is as well. It's just like, uh, what is that thing called where they, um, they can pay some... For them to pay for something, somebody follows them around and tells them ads or whatever. It's a specific term they use in the the uh, 
the the show. Mm-hmm. But like they never explained that. And for like four episodes, I was like, what the fuck is going Who is she? What are you talking about? What's happening? But to understand the story, it doesn't matter. Exactly. But as you watch the movie, you understand what the concept is. Uh, the, sorry, the show, you understand what the concept is. Yeah. And a lo- the thing is that makes a lot of shows boring or whatever, they would sit the, take the time to sit there and expose like this is this thing and this is why yeah. she's doing it and blah 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 blah. like you don't need that just yeah. let it be part of your world yeah Done. There, there's a funny there's a funny scene <laughs> in uh in maniac um I, emma stone's character she's she's at home and her dad I don't know if he's physically in there or whatever. That box in the backyard. Yeah, in the backyard. And she's like, it's time for you to come out. And he's like, no, I'm good. And that was very much just left open-ended. And that's part of the charm. I was like, this is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Because they don't even, they they don't even try to explain really Mm -hmm. what's, what's going on with that strange device. Well, the the thing is is that. (laughs) I'm just um, like, this is brilliant. Well, I I think that's the, the writing style of the show is you are being placed within this person's world. This person knows what's going on. They're not going to explain exactly. what's going on every day. You're yeah. like, I Tag can't believe my dad's ride. in this box because my mom died last year and uh, now he's he's got crippling anxiety, so he's in the box. No, it's her life. <laughs> she knows this. She's like, oh, he's in the box still and walks away. Yeah, That's what a normal person would do. And I think that's one of the reasons why, even though the show is really weird, it works really well and connects with people because you're just like, you're in their life. They know this. So you don't need to know it. It's just what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it works better than a lot of other things Yeah, because of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So do you want to talk? Uh, do you want to debate if, if Deckard's a replicant or not a replicant? Oh my God. Are you, I feel like I know, this I'm is, taking is us such back like there. a bait question. Like you're you're just like oh here's here's a here's the real we're fishing it in <laughs> let's do it let's do it yes what well, stance would you like to take well it's it's funny because um well Blade Runner twenty forty nine mm-hmm. you think okay this is a sequel okay maybe we're gonna find out a hundred percent in the film's narrative if mm-hmm. he's a replicant or not yeah but you don't you don't no it's they'd... still open ended and actually that's what made me even appreciate that film. Well, Even actually, further. Um, one thing I really liked about uh, 2049 is that um, one of my biggest problems with, especially sequels that have taken so long to come out or remakes and whatever, yeah. is that besides the basic concept, they seem to forget the original material. Like, completely. Yeah. Like, style, visuals, directing, you know, character tropes, all that kind of stuff. Like, they seem to just be like, okay, so... It's a guy who kills replicants and uh, and it's the future. Let's take that, but everything else about the previous thing they'd forget. Yeah, and the Let's thing explore they new did, territory. Yeah, and the thing that they did with this movie is that they did not forget the original material in any way, shape, or form. No, it, it's entrenched in the DNA of, of everything. In that yes, movie. and what what I like about the movie is that it's not a remake. It's not a reimagining. They didn't forget the original material. It actually seemed like in that world, 30 years had passed by. Yeah. Technology moved ahead a little bit. But, but it's things still very much look like in, they're in that world. That, like they're in that world. Exactly. Like it, the, everything looked like it belonged. 
And to me, that is a huge aspect of it. And one of the things that made it work, it was you still had that, you know, oppressive feeling. You still had those crowded spaces. You still had um, like even like his vehicle. It just looked like a newer model of Deckard's car, you know. Yeah, it you know. still had that spinner. Yeah. and It, it still looked like a spinner, but just with some slight updates. But to it, yeah. Not, but it's kind of interesting because... Okay, 2049 and the uh, original Blade Runner 2019. So what's that? 30 years? 30 years, yeah. You would think there'd be further advance. Mm -hmm. This is because we're being... I'm taking kind of opinions and knowledge of our world, Mm -hmm. like the real world or non-filmic world. Yeah. um, That you think that advances in certain technologies would be farther along. Mm -hmm. But you got to kind of think, it seems like people are still trying to escape... Off world, yes. <laughs> as you see the Zeppelin constantly moving back and forth, moving yeah. back and forth in the mm-hmm. original. So it's it, it it kind of adds to the richness of being like, okay, they made some tweaks, but you know, they're this society is still very lost, mm-hmm. um, and people aren't coming back in droves to come back to Earth. It's yeah. it's not like Wally, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's the same society. Like it's the same. Yeah, it's the things same can society. get better. Yeah. Um, and it seems more like a proper evolution of the space. Like, it's like if you, you know, turn off, you, you turn off a game, but the game is running in the background. And for those 30 years, like, it's like SimCity or something just kept running in the background and, you know, things evolved and changed and whatever was perpetual. And then you turned it back on and you're like, oh, it's still the same city, but it's just moved ahead a little bit. And, and. I loved it for that. And yeah, they, they tweaked a little things. Like it was a little bit um, brighter there. You can see things, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Things were a little bit more sleek. Cause one of the things about Blade yeah. Runner is that things were dirty. Like they were dirty. dirty. Like yeah. there was lots of paper. There's lots of rags. Very and industrial stuff. still. Yeah. You know, whereas this one, it's like a lot of the structures and stuff were super clean lines. There was no, yeah. There was no clutter places. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was just tidied. In general. Uh, you know, um, and... Or empty. Uh, or empty. Yeah, that was that was one of the things as well. Like, deserted. Um, and, like, yeah, they just sort of moved technology forward, but they kept... They, they kept the world intact. Yeah. And that was a big selling point for this movie. And then... Of course, you know, the story was good and the acting was good. And yeah, a big fan of the director, Denny, is it Villeneuve? Yes, Villeneuve. Yes. Yeah. Villeneuve? Yes. Um, Denny Villeneuve. Um, I love Arrival. Mm-hmm. I have I not. Just, no? Tell you the truth, I have not seen it. Yeah, you got to see it. Yeah. It's awesome. I suppose the other, like apparently Blade Runner 2049 was the only movie of his I've actually watched. What was the other movie? He did one more. Uh, he did Prisoners. Did you see that with Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, wait. I did see that movie. Love and the Prisoners. end of that movie is, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. That was Great one of the flip. few movies where it ended, where it did on, like, a cliffhanger. And I was just like, you can't do this. What are you talking <laughs> about? Usually I love it. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. But this one Anxiety-inducing. Like, oh, my God. I was like, I was like, let's flip tables. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's at, he's one of my favorite kind of, like, new directors. Mm-hmm. And he's Canadian, too. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yeah. I did so not he's, know that. Uh, right now, I don't think they're, they're in production stage, but they're... Um, he's directing the the Dune. <laughs> oh my god! 
Really? Yeah. So he's he's he's, he's, he's doing a, a re- uh, job like a that. I guess a reboot or reimagining of Dune. Mm-hmm. So it might be closer so there you go. to the book. Yeah. I think is is probably what they're doing. Um. So I think that would actually, especially the way he did twenty forty nine, it's that same kind of like dust filled weird structures in the desert. Yeah kind of feel to it so, oh he, yeah, I can he, see that he's working. definitely like primed for for making a movie of that kind of like scale and mm-hmm. like expectation from not just like hollywood but from fans yeah i don't <laughs> he, know he's, how he's got some clout yeah i don't he's got know some good, how good movies under his they're belt going to really like dune is one of those weird overly complicated sci-fi movies or books, sorry, no, I'll, just, I'll start at the books, like complicated sci-fi books <laughs> that when translated into like two hour, two and a half hour movie is, yeah, it's it falls apart. Like in that Dune movie, I'm sorry to say, it's was up. bad. Yeah. It had really cool visuals and like the ideas were there, Should've but it's it just horrible. Yeah. But when I finally watched, they did um, a mini series a few years ago, and I think it oh, was yes, like right. eight hours or whatever, and they, yeah. they flushed out the story and they they filled in I the holes that it. were missing from the actual Dune movie. And then I was like, oh, I get it now. You know, it was <laughs> one of those things. So I'm kind of hoping that he does manage to make that work. That would be really cool. If if anybody's up to the challenge or have faith in anybody, it's <laughs> it's definitely him. It's definitely him. I okay. would say, yeah. Okay, let's yeah. let's see how that goes. Yeah, we'll definitely see how that goes. <laughs> um, what one of the other kind of like um, interesting aspects of, and you kind of um, hinted towards it, but the industrial, dusty, dirty, kind mm-hmm. of like I guess like production design. Yeah. Of Blade Runner, that you know half of it was a bit out of necessity mm-hmm. because. The budget for the movie was twenty million dollars at the time, which I mean now that's peanuts. Yeah. And you think back then, you're like, oh, that must have been decent, but it's it's still a bit restrictive. Yeah. Especially when you're when you're creating a movie that's kind of like, I don't know, an adult Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) Where you have to create, you have to basically kind of recreate everything because nothing can look recognizable. Yeah. As uh, you know, the world that that they lived in then. Mm -hmm. So what they did was. which is actually it really worked for the movie and the theme and the tone, but they retrofitted um, a lot of the backlots mm-hmm. um, out in LA. So there's uh, one of the backlots. It's it was it's like it's supposed to be um, uh, for New York City. So if mm-hmm. you're shooting a movie or a TV show that oh it's in New York, oh this is the backlot uh, that you shoot on. Mm-hmm. But they um, really had the idea to retrofit. So what that means is just basically you're building on top. So, yeah. so, so the they weren't already there. Exactly. Yeah. So they would they would put all like these kind of like industrial columns or pipes and just kind of slap it on the front the front facade yeah. uh, of this back lot and just really make it look um, you know very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I mean that kind of um, uh, I guess route to yeah. production design it. it you know, one, it was cost effective because yeah. they didn't have to build everything mm-hmm. from scratch because, I mean, a lot of that budget was dumped into, um, you know, a lot of like, you know, the special effects yeah. um, and a lot of like miniatures and then creating these spinners that look like they're actually, 
you know, taking off from something from, yeah. <laughs> from the street. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it still did have like a restrictive budget. Um, and one of the like kind of key people um, when it came to like the production design and everything, his name, um, I don't know if you've if you've come across him, but Sid Mead. Um, but he's, he's basically, he didn't just work on movies, but he was like an industrial designer. He's here. I'm just reading his Wikipedia page known as a, a neo-futuristic concept artist. Mm-hmm. But anyways, he did a lot of designs for, um, a lot of other big movies like, uh, Aliens. So that's Jim Cameron's mm-hmm. sequel to Ridley sorry, Scott's Alien. Sid Mead, M-E-A-D? Uh, yeah. Or sorry. It's S-Y-D-M-E-A-D. Mm-hmm. Found um, see, I'm a very, Tron. I'm a very visual person, so yeah. I need to see his face before I can be like, oh, that guy, or I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, he he worked on Star Trek, the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. I actually do <laughs> recognize time cop. <laughs> wow. Okay, see? that came it back all comes around. Back. I actually do recognize his face. Yeah. Um. So very kind of like important figure when it comes to, you know, anything kind of like 20th century. I. He's mm-hmm. still working to this day, I think. Yeah, um, but 20th century 85. kind of like visionary kind of films, right? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, a lot of it's tied to science fiction. But yeah. one thing that was really like cool to learn about his kind of approach to design is, um, you know, really Scott would be like, okay, we need, you know, a taxi cab mm-hmm. or something. Or can you conceptualize uh, a parking meter? Uh, yeah. Things like that. So... Um, you know, a lot of kind of like industrial designers, they'll just design the object itself and then the rest of the background, it could just be on white paper. Yeah. But his kind of, um, method of working was he has, he visualizes the object in its environment. Oh. So when he was tasked with a lot of these kind of designs, he would be creating basically kind of like the set. Mm -hmm. And so really Scott took, uh, from a lot of those, like he wasn't, he um, apparently he wasn't supposed to be really like actively working for too long on the film. Mm-hmm. He just hired them for supposed to be a short time, but mm-hmm. he, he kept extending, <laughs> his, I yeah. guess his work on it. Cause it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, he was very key to coming up with a lot of the, uh, the concepts for, mm-hmm. you know, how does this main street in LA, you know, mm-hmm. LA is so vast and big yeah. and, and sprawling, but, how does how does he visualize his objects in these environments? So it wasn't just the objects that um, he created the world. He created, but he he, well. he he really had a huge part in you know all the big uh, neon signs that are are littered. I so, I don't know if he is if he was um, tasked with with doing the umbrella, but I I wouldn't put past him the with the lights. It looks like the oh, lightsaber yes. <laughs> lightsaber umbrellas. Yeah. I have a friend yeah. who actually has one. Who bought cool. one? That, exactly. Yeah. Man, I haven't showed it yet. Well, so. I guess that um, explains uh, like all of the movies that you've described. One thing they have in common is that even though they're strange environments, nothing ever seems out of place in those environments because all of the objects yeah. are made to be in the environment. Like he creates the environment That's a very good point. they're supposed to be in. Therefore, if he creates something that looks like it doesn't fit. He's not going to use it. He's going to redo it to fit into the world he thinks it belongs yeah. in, right? And actually, he 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 has said that like when he's designed stuff, he's also thinking about how would this actually work or function. Yes. 
So super smart <laughs> genius. Mm-hmm. So like he would talk about with, you know, just think of the the spinners. Yeah. Um, you know, how does this actually function mm-hmm. instead of just having, you know, some some wires carrying up the car to make it look like it's flowing. He actually designed it yeah. uh with in mind of, you know, how it actually propel or propel itself to lift off the ground yeah. with turbines and and all this other stuff. So but that would also again adds into, to the realism. Uh yeah, it adds to the realism because if you understand how something is supposed to work, you can decide how it's supposed to move as well, right? Yeah. So I guess the movement, because there was a definitely like a, a weightiness to like these vehicles and stuff when they took off. Whereas like you watch other movies, even like Back to the Future, where all of a sudden it's like they're like feathers and they're in the sky suddenly, you know, <laughs> compared to like, you know... The vehicles actually looked like there was effort to get off the ground to get to. It's a just garbage. Level, then, it's per- yeah, for Back to the Future too. <laughs> oh, it's not plutonium anymore. That's all you need. It's fine. Yeah. So yeah, no. So that's really awesome, actually. Yeah, I I just I uh, there's so many movies that Sid Mead was a part of, uh, like production or pre-production mm-hmm. that uh, as a as a kid growing up in the 80s and. When he's a younger teen, myself, in mm-hmm. the 90s, I mean, a lot of the movies that he worked on, you know, r- really do have, like, a, a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah. So do you think, like, based on the movie list he's been part of, you think he's had a very high influence on the type of films you enjoy Join or now. your view of films in general? 100%. Like, his, um, I guess his kind of, you, you mean Sid Mead? Yeah. Sid, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, his kind of, like, approach to just... Uh, conceptual design and all that mm-hmm. 100% yeah. um, would be very influential um, like I'm just here look these, these are all films that you know they, they have various <laughs> or varying levels of, of, of being good or, or, or rotten yeah but here are some like here it said in 1979 Mead worked with major studios on the feature films Star Trek the motion picture okay so that's the first one which yeah. that's that's a pretty bizarre Star, Star Trek movie in and of itself. Yeah, but, but it wasn't that movie. So, uh, like, one thing I know about that movie is it was supposed to be just a two-part made-for-TV movie. But because oh, of the that. success of Star Wars, they decided to make it a, <laughs> um, like, a film. And that's one of the reasons why the movie has such... Like, I mean, the plot of it's crap and everything fine i'm not going to defend it but that's also one of the reasons why like the pacing of the movie is so disjointed right it was supposed to it's supposed to slow down at a point and then you know then you wait like a couple of weeks or whatever then you see the next part of it and you got to build back up the story so the pacing ends up being odd compared to if it was made as a film right yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and it's actually one of the big kind of special effects people Mm -hmm. on star trek the motion picture um, he was uh, one of the, the important people on Blade Runner. Really? Um, Lots of Star Trek connections. It's, I it's like this. Douglas Trumbull. Mm-hmm. I actually met him once. It was at uh, the TIFF Lightbox. Yeah. And there was um, there was a it was like a seventy millimeter print of two thousand one. Yeah. Which was that that was kind of like his pioneer work. Mm-hmm. Um, just when it comes to any kind of like special effects at the time, and mm-hmm. I mean that film is in and of itself kind of a reinvention of, of uh, science fiction at that yeah. time, in the late 60s. I mean, but it he, was, but they hated it when it first came out. That's Every, right. They, all, like, critics and audiences, everybody hated it when it first came out. And that's very, very similar, um, maybe not as intense of the hate, mm-hmm. but 
um, the reception of Blade Runner, getting yeah. back to Blade Runner, wasn't that the greatest was either. was mixed. Yeah, and it really was. Um, you know, in the eighties, people were getting Beta machines or Beta Max, and yeah. and into VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, that really is what kind of propelled it to cult status. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, Blade Runner took off when it when it went to um, uh, like the home. Uh, viewing kind of market. market yes and that's kind of what prompted um is it warner brothers i'm trying to remember who the studios anyways oh, like, yeah, might not be but anyways the studio that. why they even bothered with having a 10-year anniversary director's cut yeah yeah <laughs> they can I make mean, money on it the, i actually have a picture of the yeah it is warner brothers is it okay good. That's... but yeah back to, to douglas trumbull but mm-hmm. um i mean what one of his biggest kind of a special effect kind of uh, moment is the Stargate in 2001. Oh, and you see okay. ki- you see kind of um, cues of that in, in Star Trek, uh, the mm-hmm. motion picture, that there's some wacky... I, I'm, I don't think it's a full-on Stargate sequence, but there's some crazy sequences. But yeah, you definitely feel the, the connections now between the, between the films. But yeah, any other... Ooh. Any other... Uh... Notes or anything you want to go over for Blade Runner? Because I, I see, like, you keep turning page after page after page after page. Well, yeah, I mean, I can go on about the movie forever. Whether you want to sit sit here and listen to me yammer on is another thing. Um, oh, actually, no. one thing I did want to uh, bring up from the movie. So one thing in the movie that actually really bothered me, and I don't know if I've ever picked up on this before, or if it just hit me now or not but um there's the scene where um rachel and deckard are in the apartment oh in after his apartment? At, in his apartment and yeah. remember he passes out drunk and yeah. or he's he's tired slash drunk whatever and then he gets back up and then he what does he tell rachel and she wants to, she wants to leave Right, mm-hmm. um, and he follows her and like shuts the door on her and like pushes her against the wall and oh, whatever. Yeah. And I was the like, awkward romance. Yeah, I was like, interaction. I there. don't understand what's happening really. Yeah. Like, and and I was like, it just the whole scene just made me. It wasn't just that it was awkward. It just made me really uncomfortable, and was like, I don't think that's how you're supposed to interact with something you supposedly love. Or are trying to love, whether it be a replicant or a real person. Yeah, you know, and like I mean that scene kind of, like it just struck me. I was like, oh, like I literally sat back and was like, oh, what's As what's going on? Like I was like, oh, this was really cool up in this exact moment. Like why is why is this a thing? You know? Yeah. No. So, and I mean, I just did a quick Google search, and there. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of chatter or uh, of that scene online. Mm-hmm. You know, people people are calling it like a rape scene. Yeah. Um, in, in a sense, I'm just trying to. Well, because he's also telling her, he's like, he's like, tell me that you love me, tell me that you you want me to touch you, and like all this kind of stuff. And she's legitimately like, she's scared, and she's like, he's like, say it, and then she says it, and you're like you're in an abusive relationship all of a sudden <laughs> like what are you doing yeah. you know it, it it comes across just very off like it's more than awkward it's it's off-putting and it's inappropriate or something like i don't know like it's just a lot. i mean if you're looking at it from just like a narrative standpoint mm-hmm. you know again he he's not your he, he he's not your kind of like typical kind of american 
kind of protagonist. Yeah, that's um, fine. Right? Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that kind of his character is can be questionable mm-hmm. at different times. That he's, I think that scene, it's meant to be that, you know, in a world that is, you know, it's it's become kind of very uh, an alienating kind of world that mm-hmm. people, obviously you see the different scenes where the people are in the streets and they're, you know, they're they're going to strip clubs or they're stopping by their um, the soup stand. Mm-hmm. So people, there's still a lot of people there, but um, the world's very dark. It's very glim, or mm-hmm. sorry, it's very um, grim. Grim, yeah, is what I meant to say. It's if if I'm looking at it a little bit deeper, it's it's like he doesn't really know how to initiate mm-hmm. that kind of contact in that kind of world where, again, humanity's being threatened. By the fact that these replicants that, that you know they're slaves to the human race, mm-hmm. um, but especially his job title is a Blade Runner. He's to retire to kill mm-hmm. any but of these delinquent machines. He can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's he, he's he seems like he's out of place, um, in a sense, and not just like in this kind of apocalyptic L.A. Is but like has in he terms lost of humanity, place that because um, he is lost his purpose i guess well again it's like if he stops um being a blade runner and and this is i mean for all we know we don't know how long he's been doing it but we're led to to know that he's been doing this for a long time Mm -hmm. and it's it's uh it's wearing on him and his sense of humanity that you know well what's the point of killing these machines what Mm -hmm. what is it doing is it helping the society Mm -hmm. um what am I going to do next when I have, when I stop? Mm-hmm. Um, because this isn't good for me. I don't like, I don't like this kind of work anymore. Mm-hmm. I need to get out of here. And then he meets Rachel, um, who's a bit of a glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. kind of like a, a rose between two thorns. <laughs> yeah. Um, to use that analogy that she is kind of like a beacon of hope mm-hmm. that there is a life to be had after just who, who knows how long he'd, been just killing replicants and coming home to no one yeah um but again when was the last time that he's made love to another person or anything like that so i think that scene i think it's meant to be super awkward Mm -hmm. and that it's he's not um he's not dipping her and giving her (laughs) you know like like a sweet kiss or anything but it's abrupt it's it's it seems like he's crossing the line he's being very forceful and aggressive and I think it just speaks to, you know, being critical of his kind of humanity that he's lost it. Yeah, no, I, I that. And he can't even love anymore. Yeah. Or lo- love in like a civil sense yeah. of the word. But the, it, that, no, that point or that scene's been, been, been a, a big topic of debate for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's. And what I, it really means. Yeah, I think it just comes across horribly, you know, in general. Yeah. And. Uh, I mean, there's lots of movies and stuff where people are awkward in those situations and they can come across as like either combative or or uh, not violent, but um, hostile and, and stuff like that. But I find like, you know, like that sequence really just got to me surprisingly. And, and tell you the truth, like until it came on, I was just like, I, I guess I didn't even remember it really. Yeah, because I was like, I don't know, because I remembered really like the part where she's at the piano, and I remember them being in the apartment and having like a a moment, but like that I don't remember. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't remember at all. 
So, so one thing that just triggered in my mind, actually, um, the replicants remind me of something. So there's George R. R. Martin that a lot of us know of because of Game of Thrones Who? and stuff. Um, <laughs> what show you but, speak of? <laughs> but before slash during him, you know, writing his big epic and all that kind of stuff, he used to write short sci-fi stories, not. Uh, oh, okay. fantasy stories right cool. and I, didn't know that. Um, I had uh, his volume of his book called dream songs which is a collection of his his stories yeah. and one of the stories and it actually really reminds me of the issue of the replicants in it like it's something that was created by people to protect them mm. but they're not allowed to interact with the general public because to them they're dangerous mm. um, and I really wish I could remember the name of the story Um but I don't have the book anymore, and I'm searching online, and I'm not really finding the list of stories that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so in this story, what it is is that people, uh, humans are at war on this distant planet that has like a higher gravity or whatever, and they have soldiers that are trained in that higher gravity, so they're bigger and they're stronger than regular humans right i'm loving this they, already <laughs> they never they never go go to earth or whatever but they're out battling whatever but when they get to a certain point they get to retire they get to pick to go wherever they want in the yep. world that's what yep. they're told you know so this guy's retiring he's uh, he's about to leave his like base and stuff and they're like well where do you want to go you can go to venus you can go to saturn you can go to whatever he's like i want to go to earth and they're like no He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm out here risking my ass and watching my friends die and whatever, and I can't go to the place that I'm protecting? And they're like, no, you can't go there. Like, you, you can pick anywhere you want, but you can't go there. So finally, like, they talk and they talk, whatever, and he's like, no, I'm going to go to Earth. And they're like, you know what? Fine. So they put him in this ship. He goes in, and it's filled with food, and it's all luxurious and stuff, and the captain's talking about, you know, buckle in, are you ready to take off, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he all he realizes is that um, they've turned up the gravity even higher in the space that he's in, yep. and they crush him to death, right? Because they prefer to kill him yep. than to let him be with the public because he's too big, he's too strong, too he's too whatever. He could hurt people. We yep. don't know what he's going to be like with the general. And so instead of just letting this person be, you know, he could have gone to Earth and done absolutely nothing and been like, sup. And that was it. You'll never know. But they're so fear-mongering about it. And it's the same yeah. thing with the replicants. It's like, we can't let them have emotions. We can't let them live too long yeah. because we don't know, you know, you know, they're trained for specific purposes. And once they've outlived that purpose... To fight their wars and to build yeah. their society off-world. And to be like world. sex bots and all that kind of... Yeah. Sorry, they call them pleasure models. Pleasure sorry. models. <laughs> um, you gotta give them more like, credit than that. Yeah, you can't, you can't let them be more than they are, you yeah. know? Then and to serve their, their singular purpose. Their singular purpose. And that, you know, it, it also reminds you of things that are in our society, like, you know, racism and class systems that are... And, and things like that, where, like, no, if you're born in this class system... These are the things you can do and you can't get out of it, yeah. you know? Um, and Stay like I said line. earlier, like even the the replicant called themselves slaves, um, which of course harkens back to slavery, you know, yep. where, you yeah. know, you, you were brought here or you were allowed to procreate for a specific purpose. You cannot get out of this purpose, yeah. right? If you try to, we will take you down. And that's what they did. Yeah. So like there's a lot of... Uh, moral and ethical and and uh, 
quandaries that are brought up by like this this film and the way it's structured in the future that it's still problems that we have today will be problems that we'll have tomorrow if we don't think about it better i couldn't have said it better (laughs) (laughs) no that i mean uh, uh, when when films are made like even though let's let's say they're about like history that happened hundreds of years ago Mm. or it's about the future it could be happening thousands of years in the future Mm -hmm. you know star trek for instance or or decades yeah. They're, they're always... They're... Okay, first of all, Star Trek, hundreds of years in the future. Is it hundreds? Hundreds. Oh. It's I, a 23 a... and 24 hundreds. Yeah. Well, I I do respect Star Trek, but I, mm-hmm. I am... If I have to <laughs> pick a side, it, 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 I am a Star Wars. You're not... No. I, I am a Jedi. Yeah. But, at, that's, but, but that's history, though. We're talking about the future. <laughs> Thank you. Um... Just or yeah, I guess what I was, why I brought that up is, um, films are they're always often uh, a bit symptomatic of the time in which mm-hmm. they're made. It doesn't matter if if it's about you know uh, something future that's happening in like you know a far off planet or in the galaxy far far away, mm-hmm. um, or something that's medieval. But you can always find you know especially the, the, the better films, mm-hmm. um, a bit of social commentary on, you know, things that are happening in the present time. Mm-hmm. So when you think of like early 80s, it's like, oh, we're, you know, Vietnam's done. We're, we're moving into, uh, into a new uh, decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are scared. M- MTV's on TV. What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, actually, it, it, in that documentary, um, really Scott says, you know, he, he was very influenced by MTV. At the time when he really? made this film, yeah, okay. he he was a fan. He was a big yeah. fan of it. Um, just just the way that the, um, you know, he saw these these uh, the music videos as kind of like like mini films. Yes, they were. Um, yeah, right. He used to put it, it lots was... of effort into those those videos for <laughs> sure. And you yeah. see some of that translation a bit into, especially when you look at uh, some of the production design with you know, there's TVs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the hairstyles mm-hmm. and the fashion. Um, yeah. Ridley Scott was was very much involved in a lot of um, decisions that were made about, you know, what's Rachel going to look like? Mm-hmm. What is Daryl Hannah's character going to look like? And what's mm-hmm. this other character going to look like? Especially mm-hmm. when it came to fashion. And you can see, okay, the film's supposed to take place in 2019, mm-hmm. but... Uh, it's very 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, if but, you've noticed. Yeah, but there's also that, um, which is fun. There's a juxtaposition of uh, the new and the old, right? Because yeah. even though Rachel's look is technically very 80s, especially because she's got like those big um, like shoulder pads and stuff, it's actually like the style is actually goes further back. It's like more oh, like yeah. 1940s her, her and 50s. It's the hairstyle, the way the suit like, fits the her and... And all that kind of stuff, you know, like it's. I, guess I was the, thinking more about Daryl Hannah. <laughs> Daryl Hannah is very eighties, but even when he goes to like that strip club and that the the girl with like the snake oh, and yes, stuff, and she yes, was yes, on the thing right. with the the see through like jacket, and she's like yes. running, and yep. that whole sequence is so super eighties. It's like it's incredible. It's hilarious, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's awesome. So, but going back to your kind of like you know a bit of your comments on you know social commentary and slavery and things like that. Here, I'm just going to read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, uh, I think this is the last, these are the last lines that uh, Rutger Hauer's says, yeah. said, right? 
It's the the tears in in the rain kind of monologue. Yeah, but isn't but he, isn't the tears in the rain thing? Didn't he come up with it? If I remember correctly, I don't know. There was something. There was that. some part of that speech. He. That's one of my favorite parts of that film. I yeah, just, it's it, it's so. It's well such done. a. It's so well done. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. But here. Sorry, here, interrupted. Go ahead. That's okay. Here, I'll read it. So, you know, he's a slave, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he he, but he his time is up. Mm-hmm. That he he's he's gonna die in front of Deckard on, on the roof because yeah. his expiry he's he's done, but this is what he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Okay, I'm not doing the delivery justice, but he says Come I've on, seen you things. You have to cry, pretend it's raining on you. <laughs> That's right. I need to stick a a huge nail through my <laughs> hand. Yes. Um, but I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire, mm-hmm. off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams. I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. So it's someplace. Yeah, it's someplace. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Time to die, and yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because you know he, he's speaking, you know, on on his experience as you know b- being a, a machine mm-hmm. for you know building uh, you know humanity off world. Uh, yeah, there's, but I don't... there's other scenes where he talks about like fighting wars. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what the lines are, but th- this is really interesting because it's coming from you know a slave's perspective. Yeah. But he's he's seeing that the you know the end is 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 happening now, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of an interesting uh, take on memory. Mm-hmm. He's saying that all those moments will be lost in times like tears in the rain. Yeah. That these uh, replicants that they're you know to base an identity on they're they're kind of they're given memories, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, Rachel. They're, no, they're, but, no it, the Nexus Six. They don't have. They don't oh, have memories. Rachel's right? not Nexus Rachel, Six. Yeah, Rachel is is different. Um, so she has implanted memories, but those it, yes. replicants don't. Have oh, they don't. Memories. No, if I like, that's what I got out of the movie. As far as okay. I know, they don't have implanted memories. But anyway, so his memories, um, it, it's it's very kind of just telling on when you think of like just life in general mm-hmm. that um you know how, how will you be memorialized i mean mm-hmm. w- one, once one of these uh, replicants die they, they're done like what yeah. who, who's going to be left around to to talk about them like mm-hmm. they don't have kids they don't um, have kids they don't have family but you have they to see have blade runner 2049 yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert too late i already told you yeah um well, no, I think I think where that's going is is just that he's you realize his memories in, of of the wars he fought or anything or of hating. Yeah. His memories is things that are his, you know, like he's he noticed this and he noticed this and now it's just going to be gone. Yeah. And one of the reasons why he wanted to live is he's like I these things shouldn't be lost and I think all of us understand that feeling. Most people are, are afraid of death because they don't want to be forgotten and they don't want who they are to be lost. And yeah. it shows a level of humanity in something that's not supposed to be human. And Again, that's it's like why these it's replicants are actually more human, human than, the, than humans. the humans in the film. Yeah. Than Decker, for yeah, sure. For sure, for sure. And uh, and I think he wants to live. Yeah, that's, that wasn't part of his yeah. programming, right? And the thing is, right before that, Decker didn't care about living. Decker was just like, I go through emotions and that's it. And yeah. now he was able to find something to do, not just through Rachel, but because this guy comes along who's supposed to not really understand 
humanity and shows him that no he gets it more than you do yeah 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 i just i just thought that that scene i mean it's such a it's such a well kind of active and delivered mm-hmm. uh scene mm-hmm. and it just it's it's a nice fitting kind of ending it is but it's i just there's it's um it, it makes me think it's like you know a photo's worth a thousand words but this is it's it's kind of the opposite. Like the words are worth like a thousand kind of ideas, yeah, ideas and pictures about and mortality and all of that. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's a concept that's coming across that can touch on exactly. Uh, well, I actually think that since we hit the end of the movie, <laughs> I think that might be a good exactly. point to end. We we never fully like debated if Deckard's a replicant or not. But, no, we did not. But that's that that that's part of the charm of the film. So we won't we won't spoil it. But it's exactly. Fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, I think. If debate we're gonna be here for like another two hours yeah uh we're all we're gonna be googling the whole time researching like here's proof of this and here's proof of this this is what this person said and you know know, look what satra said about what creates a man and blah 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 i think ridley scott here i'm looking at a couple quotes i think he's come out because he's so tired of people asking him yeah he said he is a replicant but then he he'll often like uh, leave people with like cryptic answers. And... But is it up to him to decide if if Deckard's a replicant or not? Isn't it more up go. to the author, Philip K. Dick? Because Philip K. It's... Yeah. And Philip K. Dick, you can't ask him that question anymore, right? So it's he's the one who originally posts the query, and if Ridley Scott's interpretation is that he's a replicant, that doesn't mean he's a replicant unless you get it from the person who originally came up with the concept. And then that opens up the whole debate of. <laughs> Look what you pulled me into. What's Authorial wrong with Authorial <laughs> integrity and who has the final say. Exactly. But again, exactly. I mean, and, and again, that goes back to why I love Blade Runner so much is because mm. it, at the, at the end of the film, it has more uh, questions than, than, it, than, it, than it answers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that just makes for, you know, a rich kind of like uh, audience or film going experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know. I, I can't wait till the next Blade Runner. 2089. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd watch okay. that one too. Okay, well, I'll, I'll shut up about okay. that. <laughs> theories. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, we came up with a couple of movies you might come back for. So yep. we'll wait for those to happen. Um, so you'll definitely have to come back and chat some more and maybe we'll get yeah, into uh, have me. to more debates and philosophy and ideas of, of uh, yeah, love cin- it. cinematic uh, uh, wondrousness. I'm saying stupid words for no reason. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at OhMyShelf. Or you can send me an email at ohmyshelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about the movies Breakfast of Champions and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hope you'll be here to listen. Bye.